are on air for NASCAR Race Review with Hot Topic Sound Off on Fan for Racing Radio. Tonight, we are reviewing the races at Texas Motor Speedway, as well as two tracks in California. We're talking about uh, All-American Speedway and Kern County Raceway with the Arkham and Art Series West as they had a double header this weekend. And uh, we will be talking to one of those winners on our show here tonight. During the first half hour, we do have uh, the late model driver with the All-American, uh, uh, with the, uh, I guess it's not All-American uh, wheeling anymore, but the uh, auto auto parts uh, series now at Irwindale Speedway. Jake Drew with Sunrise Ford Racing will be joining us, and we will talk with him uh, about racing at Irwindale Speedway this year. Then also we have at 9 o'clock Arco West driver Gio Scalzi with Bill McAnally Racing after his win at All-American Speedway this past weekend. That was on Friday. Uh, Now, we are also going to be reviewing uh, the Xfinity and the Truck Series race at Texas. And at 9.30 tonight, we have our Hot Topic Sound Off with the Fan for Racing crew. So it's going to be a really tight schedule. We're going to have to watch the time very closely, uh, but we're going to get it all in. So joining me for tonight's show is our co-host, and that is Sal Segala. Welcome to the show, Sal. Oh, good evening, Sharon. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we are uh, definitely going to have to get right into the ARCA Racing Series, uh, the West Series, that raced at uh, uh, All-American Speedway this past weekend. Gio Scalzi won that race, uh, and it was his very first win in the ARCA Menard Series. He's been racing in all three series this year. He's uh, racing for points here in the uh, ARCA Menard Series West. And uh, he came in first uh, with a really tight battle between him and Taylor Gray at All-American Speedway. Were you at All-American, Jay, or Sal? No, I wasn't, but I was, I was kind of uh, keeping tabs on it while I was at work. Um, but I, I wasn't okay. at the race on Sunday. Yeah, but it was a, it was okay. a really tight battle, like a last lap, last couple lap um, pass for the lead and from what I heard, it was a lot of there was a lot of excitement for this race. Yes, there was. Uh, Gio Scalzi, a rookie, came up with his very first victory uh, in the number 16 for Bill McAnally Racing. Uh, Todd Souza came in in third, pl- second place, followed by Trevor Huddleston with Sunrise Ford. Jesse Love, the series points leader, and another rookie was fourth. And Blaine Perkins from Sunrise Ford. Uh, rounds out the top five there. The next five are Holly Holland, Taylor Gray, Jack Wood, Takuma Koga, and Gracie Trotter rounds out the top ten. So, yeah, very exciting racing there. We won't get into the points just yet, Sal. We'll do that after uh, we go over the points for this uh, second race. Okay, yeah, it was a... Man, I'll tell you from what from what I was hearing Sunday at the track, they said it was a, it was a really good race and um, uh, um still no um still no no shakeup in the point. 
Well, first of all, we had two races this weekend. There was a race on Friday that was at All American Speedway, and then the race on Sunday, which we have not given the uh, the top ten yet for that. That race was on Sunday at Kern County Raceway Park in Bakersfield, California. Uh, Taylor Gray, who missed out on the victory on Friday, was the winner on Sunday in the number 17 for DGR Crossley. Do you want to go over the rest of the top ten there, Sal? Hello. I'm sorry, Sharon. I'm, I'm... Uh, I lost uh, next on my back. Okay. Oh. Um, yeah. Can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, yeah. It was just, it was just kind of it was getting kind of sketchy there for a minute. Okay. Uh, Taylor Gray came in first. Uh, I don't know if you have the the finishing order there or not, but Mason Diaz came in in second place. He came in, he's there with Centurini Motorsports in their uh, number 25 car. Blaine Perkins finished in third. Trevor Huddleston was fourth. And Gracie Trotter rounds out the top five on uh, Sunday's race. Then it was Kyle Keller, Todd Souza, Jesse Love, Gio Scalzi, and Jack Wood rounding out the remainder of the top ten there. So that race was pretty exciting as well, right, uh, Sal? Yeah, it, you know what? It it really I don't know the one at the one at um at uh the one at Kern wasn't as exciting as the one at um at all at all American Speedway. Basically, the one at Kern was um it was run very clean. I think there was I think there was one caution if I'm not mistaken, and uh, basically it was just uh, a dominating win by um what was really dominating. Jesse Love got the pole, but once um. Once Taylor Gray got off right, was, there was no one. Him and Mason Diaz kind of went back and forth a little bit. But other than that, it was just basically a Mason Diaz-Taylor uh, Gray type of a race. Oh, okay. Yeah, he had a margin of victory of 1.643 as opposed to the margin of victory in the race at uh, All-American. Actually, it was a pretty large uh, amount there, too, 1.677 uh, at uh, – the race at All-American Speedway so in Roseville. So uh, we've gone over the point. I mean, the races. Let's uh, go ahead and round out the series points. So. Okay. Uh, series points are um, – here we go. It just came up. I'm oh, sorry, Sharon. I'm on my way to work. So, okay, the points are um, Jesse Love is still leading. Um, second is Bain Perkins. Third is Gracie Trotter. Fourth is Gio Selzy. Fifth is Trevor Huddleston. Sixth is Todd Sousa. Seventh is Holly Holland. Eighth is Takuma Koga. Ninth is Bobby Hills Jr. And um, tenth is uh, tenth is uh, 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 Bridget Burgess. And actually, there's only nine drivers that actually um, so far have raced every race. You know, so basically, you know, it's like the top nine. Right. Right. But uh, Jesse Love still holds a 14-point lead over Blaine Perkins. Uh, there's eight points between Gio Scalzi and Trevor Huddleston, but only four points between Gio Scalzi and Gracie Trotter. So those guys are going to be uh, racing hard at the season finale that will be coming up at 
uh, Phoenix Raceway uh, to close out their season. So uh, this is going to be exciting to watch. So yeah, and actually, it's uh, it's, it's twelve points. Um, there's a twelve points difference between the first and between first and second now. Oh, is it um, okay? Points. Yeah, the, the um, I don't know why Arkin did set out the the new point thing, but um, when I was looking at the sheet at the track when they did when they gave us for the media, there's a twelve point difference. Now, with that being said, there's a there's a, still a chance that um <clears throat> that um Blake can still win the championship, but the fact that um usually Phoenix has a really high car count, so the more cars they have, then there's more points offered for the first place you know, for the first place driver. Okay. So, so, you know, with the 13, the 12, 13 cars are having now, basically just level just have to start the race. But with the fact that they're looking at maybe having possibly 20, you know, 20 cars there or more, you know, cause a lot of the East drivers are going to come down to race at Phoenix because it's a one mile track. So with their, you know, and with the more cars, Blaine will have a better chance at, you know, at a, you know, an outside chance of the championship, but it's either way, it's going to be a good race. A lot of rookies at Phoenix. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. Without a doubt. Now the, their season finale is coming up. This is the last race of the season for the Arkham and Art series. West. the Arizona lottery 100 will take place at noon mountain time. That's local time. Uh, November <coughs> the 7th at Phoenix raceway. And uh, that's where we're going to find out who the champion for this series is going to be. So definitely mark your calendars for that one. Uh, it's going to be a pretty big deal. So, uh, Sal, I know you've got your guest is here. If you want to go ahead and introduce him and uh, start the interview with uh, your guest. Yeah, our guest is Jay Drew from Erndale Speedway. He's been, uh, he, he raced the whole um, spec late model uh, season this year, and and what Tim did was he added the truck series with the specs, just so we'd have more cars and more of a uh, more of like a diverse racing series, which turned out to be one of the most exciting series that we had. And actually, Jake is our champion. And going into the final race of the season, there was a two point difference between him and and Ryan Partridge's brother Andy, who was in his second season out here. So. It was a really good race, at the, at, you know, throughout the season. But the last race, you know, Jake, you know, was a, had the stronger car and, um, of course, walked through the championship. And um, so we're going to talk about his championship season and a little bit more about, you know, about who Jake Drew is. So with that, we want to welcome Jake to the show. Welcome to the show, Jake. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. You know, Jake, it was an exciting season from the get-go. You know, you guys were kind of, you know, back and forth with the points and, uh, you know, then of course, you know, then it you know came down to you know to the final race of the season, you know, and and I know walking through the pits and talking with the drivers, you know, there's a lot of pressure, you know, not only on you but on Andy, and um, you know, and then of course you still had to think about all the other cars, you know, that were racing, you know, that wouldn't be, you know, hopefully wouldn't get in the in the uh, way of you guys uh, of your championship. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, this year was very fun you know i it was a big learning experience for me coming from uh coming from the carts and whatnot and uh i knew going into the last race that nerves were going to be high and i just tried to stay calm all weekend and 
kind of use some of my experience from before to keep everything under control. And going into that last race, I was real excited. I knew I had a good car, and uh, I just needed to go get the job done. So, so making the transition from carts to, you know, to the stock cars, you know, we we've seen that a lot, you know, which you know when we talk to you know mostly drivers, you know, they do start in either carts or quarter midgets, you know, but you know as they're making their transition, you know, into you know hopefully you know get into the into the big into the big show, you know, of course, you know, there's that little transition period. What what was it? How hard was it? And what was it like to make that transition? Oh. Uh... You know, it definitely, everybody at High Point Racing and Sunrise Ford, all, Andy and Ryan Partridge and the Huddlestons, and everybody helped me out a lot to make that transition as easy as possible and provide me with the information I needed. Uh, definitely the biggest thing for me was just to uh, get out there and start laying down the times early as possible. Uh, that was the biggest difference for me from the cart to the cars. And uh, definitely having to use utilize a a spotter, you know, to try and help me out and uh, let me know what's going on around me on track. And you know, it's just I had a great time learning it all and really enjoyed it this year and can't wait to do more. You know, you you know, you speak about high point racing and you know, of course, Ryan Parker's, you know, who was there, you know, who's you know, kind of like you know your driver coach and and um, you know, Ryan has a, a storied history there at. at Erindale, you know, not only Erindale, you know, but around, you know, the track. So as far as the coach is good, but then you throw in High Point Racing, who Tim has brought up a lot of drivers, you know, through his, you know, through his program, through his organization, you know. Of course, you know, right now, you know, we're watching Cole Custer and the Cup Series, who started at High Point also. So with, with you throw those factors in, you know, with, you know, with what your mindset is, you know, and where you want to be. You know, I mean, it was it had to be like one of the best um, uh, recipes for success. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. You know, I mean, just the the information they were able to provide me all year and the support from the whole team really just made it very easy uh, to make that transition and get the feel for the car. And you know, I never really felt like I had much pressure or anything and uh yeah and with, and with that jake you know we have our show our the our um host sharon and i know she, i know she has some questions for you sharon yes first of all jake i want to say congratulations on winning that championship uh you did that as a rookie right yes i did thank you very much okay that's pretty fantastic and uh, Irwindale is, is a, like you mentioned, you had a lot of support there, and and uh, that track is, I know, one of the premier tracks out there in the West. And uh, I'm I'm just kind of wondering, what's what's next for you? Are you going to go back for uh, back-to-back championships or do any ARCA racing in the West? Um, no words really on the ARCA stuff. Um but I will be back at Irwindale in the uh, number 55 late model for High Point Racing again next year and Sunrise Ford. Oh, that's fantastic. And uh, so you are gonna really go looking forward to that. that. I, uh, just go back saying, I'm that. really looking forward to that. Oh. Go ahead. 
Go ahead, sorry. Yes, that's all right, that's all right. Um, and and are you going to have uh, pretty much the same team that's coming back with you, Jack? Yes. Okay, so tell us a little bit about who your team is, uh, your spotter, uh, your crew chief. Uh, my spotter was uh, Andrew Anderson, and we also had uh, Kenny helping us out, uh, working on the car and whatnot. Um, everybody at High Point Racing uh Okay. Okay, so that's that's fantastic. Now, uh Jake, when you think about um uh what's what might be next for you, uh I know that I read that you're gonna be also racing part of a Mazda uh series. So you're one of eighteen drivers that was selected to be part of the Mazda series. Tell us a little bit about that. So that came about um Mazda started a program to try and help young drivers like me uh, kind of make their move out of karting into the cars and the, kind of the sports car scene. Um, right now we had to, or in the last couple of days, we had to write up a proposal and whatnot to send in where they will select the finalists to participate in their shootout on track at uh, Road Atlanta. Um that will be in November, but I won't know until the 28th if I've been, but I'm looking forward to find oh. out. Yeah, okay, so that's 18 drivers are all doing the same thing that you're doing. They're, they're submitting their proposals uh, to be a part of this. How many people are going to be selected? Uh, six to nine drivers. Six to nine drivers. Well, we certainly hope that you're one of those guys that are chosen to be a part of that. And, uh, uh, we'll look forward to uh, checking that out. Sal, any other questions that you have for Drew? Yeah, yeah. you know, Jake, it was, uh, you know, um, you know, um, when we talked, you know, we talked. Can you hear me, Sharon? Yeah, I can hear you. Go ahead. Okay. All right. I don't know. Okay. Yeah. You know, we, you know, we kind of talked about the team, you know, we, we talked about your aspirations and stuff like that. Um, tell us a little bit about Jake, who Jake Drew is. Oh, I'm just a young kid from California. Uh, I've always grown up around racing. Um, I fell in love with it at a very young age, and uh, I first got in the car at, I believe, six years old, and from then on it was wide open, uh, racing all over the place, up and down California. And I've gone over, around the country a little bit, um, Nevada, Arizona, Indiana, uh, places like that, just racing with all kinds of competition. I always wanted to do a little bit more and see what I could do in a car. Um, I struggled to find that opportunity for a while, but uh, I was very lucky to start a relationship with the Brincotti family at Sunrise Ford, and you know they really helped me get a huge opportunity to try this stuff out. Um, and I'm just super thankful for it. So what? Was, <clears throat> excuse me. So what was it that made you decide to go into stock cars rather than take the other road and go, you know, like into dirt racing? You know, um, 
you know, quarter midgets or, you know, even uh, midgets or um, sprint cars. Uh, I think it was just the opportunity that was brought to me. And, um, yeah, I think I've never really had a preference on what I wanted to do in motorsports. I felt that I could, I mean, I love all forms of motorsports. I watch every kind and I felt that I could adapt and uh, become familiar with any type of car. And I've always I kind of like the oval racing, the short track stuff, and um, it was just definitely something I wanted to try out. Hmm. Well, Jake, I, man, I just want to say congratulations again on the championship. I know it was a joy watching you this, this season, you know, progress and grow, you know, in the sport. And um, it's going to be exciting next season, you know, to see you in the 55 late model, you know, to basically, you know, move up to the next ladder, you know, up to the next step, you know, which will you know, be the, you know, the late model racing that's going to be uh, – going to be a good season. I know it's going to be a good season for you, you know, and Bob Ricotti, you know, is giving you a, you know, an awesome opportunity. Like I told you that day, you know, Bob don't give too many drivers, you know, opportunities like that, you know, and for him, you know, to you know make that phone call, you know, on championship night, you know, tell you, you know, that your season is taken care of, you know, that that's a huge accomplishment, you know, and that's something, you know, that, that you know, you, you should be very proud of. And with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Okay, Jake. Um, uh, talk a little bit about uh, your family and how they're involved with you in, in your racing, because I know families, uh, racing is a family event. Yeah, my family has always been super supportive of my racing. Um, my dad, Jeremy Drew, he started racing in uh, 1985 in karting, and um you know, he had a lot of success himself and definitely was able to jumpstart my progress as a young kid when I got started. And, um, you know, with almost every race I go to, my my mom, my dad, my grandparents are there supporting me through everything and helping me through anything I need. And I think that's really helped me out throughout my whole career to just have that kind of support and backing and just to provide anything I needed or any support if I needed somebody to talk to or anything. And uh, they definitely helped me lead, lead me in the right direction to get to where I'm at today. Okay. You mentioned that you like all, all forms of motorsports and that you watch a lot of racing. Who's your, who's your hero in uh, motorsports? Who is it that you look up to? I think it's got to be Kyle Larson. Oh, okay. That's a good one. Okay, so Kyle Larson, uh, there's a lot of talk that he's going to be coming back to uh, uh, NASCAR in 2021. And uh, he's he's, uh, from that California area, so uh, that's pretty cool. Do you have aspirations to move into NASCAR yourself? to rise that up that ladder? Definitely. I would love to. Okay. So uh, I think that's pretty cool. Now, if fans want to follow you, Jake, what's the best way for them to follow you, especially if they want to know whether or not you made it into that Mazda series and uh, what other racing you're planning to do? 
Uh, I think the best way to follow me would be on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Uh, Instagram would be uh, at jdrew29, and on Facebook as Jake Drew. Um, I have a big race coming up in a few weeks in Las Vegas. It will be a big karting race, and I'll be looking forward to that to kind of end off my year. Okay, so you're still doing the karting as low as the uh, late model racing. Are you still in school, Jake? Uh, currently, I am not. School. Oh, okay. Okay. So uh, that that's fine. I just was going to ask you how you balance uh, the two, but you don't really have to in this case. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's that's kind of cool, too. Uh, Jake, it's been a lot of fun chatting with you here tonight. Uh, we do have what we call our winner's circle uh, during our first half hour here, and uh, we hope that as you continue to race out there at Irwindale Speedway and, and some of your karting racing, uh, that uh, you'll stay in touch with us. We'd love to have you come back on again. Thank you very much, Sharon and Sal. I appreciate it. This is a lot of fun. Okay. And do you have any uh, shout-outs you want to do before we say goodbye? Oh, just everybody that supported me. Uh, the whole Brunkati family at Sunrise Ford, uh, High Point Racing, the Huddlestons, uh, Andy and Ryan Partridge, Steel USA, and, of course, my whole my whole family and my friends for everything they've done. Okay, Jake. Well, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and uh, definitely looking forward to uh, perhaps talking to you again somewhere down the road here. So good luck on this race with Encarting. Thank you very much. Okay. Take care now. You too. All right, uh, Sal, that was uh, Jake Drew. He's part of that, uh, what is that series called now? It used to be the the, uh, Wheelin' All-American series. Oh, it's called the Advanced Auto Parts now. The Advanced Auto Parts. Thank you. I couldn't think of what the new name was. Okay, so okay, so uh, Jake Drew is definitely uh, a part of that uh, advanced battle parts series, uh, and there's drivers all over the country uh, that are racing at local home tracks and winning. Uh, you know, they're racing the entire season uh, for a championship at their local track, and Jake Drew is one of those drivers. Uh, to win that championship, so uh, that's really huge, Sal. Yeah, it is. You know what? He's really super nice guy and super really nice family, Sharon. I mean, you know, they're just um, he's just so down to earth. You know what? And just so appreciative. You yeah. know, like I told you know earlier, real quick. You know, when I talked to him after he won the championship, you know, then you know we went into the you know pit area after everything was done, and you know that's when I asked him. You know, I said, you know, I said I I can't get you on which was last week because the, he won, he's won the championship two weeks ago. <clears throat> I said, okay. we can't do anything this Monday. I usually like to get him on, you know, that same week. I said, but for sure the following week, I said, you know, we want to definitely get you on. And, you know, and he was real susceptible, you know, with the, you know, with the cancellation yesterday, you know, because of the cup race. Well, we appreciate you know, and, that. Um, you know, oh yeah. And I told him, you know, I said, you know, thanks for, you know, being understanding, you know, but, um, you know, you know, I'm excited to get him on. You know, he's he's really good. And like I said before, Bob Riccati doesn't give rides away. You know, and Bob, 
made a phone call when 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 the when he won the championship in victory lane on the track. Tim goes, I have someone on the phone. It's Bob, and Bob told me he goes, Jake. He goes next season. He goes, you have a fully funded ride in the number fifty five late model. So Bob is fully funding wow. the whole the whole season for him, which isn't it That's doesn't fantastic. you don't we don't you don't see that. We always talk about sponsorship. And you just don't see that in this day and age, and, and he, he he sealed the deal. <clears throat> well, he sees he you sees know. the talent that's there, obviously, uh, or he yeah. wouldn't be doing that. So that's fantastic. Now, Sal, we've got another guest coming up here. Uh, we talked about the doubleheader in the Arkham and Art Series West, and uh, Gio Scalzi won on Friday night. It was his very first uh, win in the Arkham West. And uh, he's a rookie this season. He's t- he's in that uh, fourth place position right now. Uh, real close uh, battle with uh, Gracie Trotter, his teammate at Bill McAnally Racing. And uh, I, first of all, I want to welcome him online here with us. And uh, Gio, congratulations on your first victory at All American Speedway and with the Arc of West. Yeah, thank you very much. It's, uh, it's good to be on the show. Well, we're happy to have you here. Now, Gio, uh, talk a little bit about that victory because uh, I know that uh, uh, you were pretty aggressive at the end of the race. But uh, from what I've seen uh, from comments that you made is that uh, you, you uh, uh, felt that that was the time to do it. <laughs> that maybe you hadn't been aggressive enough during the rest of the season. Yeah, for sure. You know, obviously racing, racing full body cars and, and coming from open wheel racing, you really can't touch each other, um, you know, as much as you can in, in stock car racing. So I think that's been a downfall of mine is, is not maybe not moving someone out of the way um, whenever the, it's needed. And, um, you know, Taylor made a mistake and then slid up by himself and, and uh, left the door open for the, for the win. So, um, yeah, I, like I said, I, I've been moved out of the way a couple of times this year and, and got frustrated, but in, in the end, in those races, I'm, I'm the one that, that's, uh, that's not winning. And, um, you know, like I said, I saw an opportunity and, and I took it. Um, and like I said, in, in pavement racing, it seems like in full bodied racing, sometimes, uh, when the time comes, you, you gotta, you gotta make a move happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you mentioned, uh, you, you've been, uh, a racer in the sprint cars, and uh, your family is kind of involved in sprint car racing. What made you decide to go to the late models or to to racing uh, with the Arca West? You know, um, and at the Knoxville Nationals in 2018, Andy Graves, um, who was a very high up at Toyota, approached me and and just kind of said, "Hey, if you ever um, if you ever want to go pavement racing, here's my number, and um, we'll, we'll try to work something out." And and it kind of um, hit me where these opportunities don't, don't come very often. Um, and I feel like whenever they do come, you, you have to jump on them. And, um, yeah, it was obviously a, a great thing this year for sure. And being involved with Toyota with the midget side of things and the, um, you know, pavement side of stuff, they've, they've been nothing but supportive to me. And, um, you know, to be involved with an operation like that, uh, really kind of steps you up to the next level. So, yeah, I mean, obviously it's the highest level of racing in, in the United States. And, and it was something that, that, um, you know, maybe you want to get involved and, and, um, you know, I did it for a year, and it, it was awesome. Um, you know, I had a lot of fun. Obviously, it's a huge transition from uh, from dirt racing to pavement. But, yeah, just kind of, um, you know, having the, the opportunity to, to race at that high of a level, um, I think anybody would have taken it. 
Okay. Yeah, I think that's uh, probably true. Uh, so, so what's your preference now that you've raced on both pavement and dirt? You know, I actually just just made the announcement a couple hours ago that I'll be racing full time sprint cars next year, um, and just kind of came down to a decision where I, I just kind of, you know, have to have to do what makes me happy, and and sprint car racing is is where I want to be. Um, obviously, I got involved with a with a very high high class team, uh, KCP Racing with Matt Barbara and Brett Nearing um, on the sprint car side of things. So I'll be racing full time um, either with the World of Outlaws or or full time sprint car racing in 2020 in 2021. Excuse me. Okay, so I guess that pretty much answers that question. <laughs> okay, so so uh, Sal, our co-host, is with us tonight, and, and uh, I know he has some questions for you as well, Gio. Yes. Hey, Gio. First of all, congratulations on the on the on the win this Friday, this past Friday night. But you know what's ironic is that we had Jake Drew on before you know who raced for High Point, and I remember your very first stock car win came in in a high point car over at Irvindale Speedway. I think it was a couple of years ago was the first time that I'd met you, but it was your first, very first stock car race. And you ended up um, uh, putting a pr- uh, pretty good herd on all those other guys that were out there racing. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Actually, I, I tested the day before and that was my first time ever on pavement um, and, and was making laps, just kind of trying to feel it out and, and ran it too hard in the corner and back the thing in the fence. And, and they had to work all night and, and uh, fix it for me the next day. I'm going to end up winning the next day. So um, kind of a cool uh, cool introduction to payment. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, and it's, you know, what, what you know, I, I, I don't even kind of explain, you know, why you, why you took the road, you know, through stock cars, you know, then into the outlaws. But, I mean, you, you know, you have a dad that's a three-time, you know, funny car champion in NHRA. Yeah. Why didn't you take that road? You know, it's funny you ask because, I mean, obviously everybody wants to ask. Coming from a drag racing family and, and my dad having so much success um, on the NHRA side of things, there was really never a place. It's so hard. You really can't drag race anything um, under the age of 16. So whenever me and my brother were younger, um, the the dirt route, obviously, with go-karts and, and micro sprints and outlaw carts, there were, there were so many things we could do whenever we were younger, you know, five, six, seven years old. Um, we took the dirt path, and, and my dad always thought, hey, if we wanted to go – drag race we could always make the change anytime we wanted to and obviously the um our career path just kind of went on dirt and that's what we both fell in love with and and that's kind of um just what what we followed um but i think drag racing is awesome i I go anytime i can and it's kind of cool obviously i I was only seven years old when my dad retired so i was super super young around all the racing stuff um but it's weird it's kind of like deja vu going back there and and seeing the haulers and, and seeing people that know me that remember me and i don't remember them so um, you kind of get your childhood told to you from from someone else, you know. Um, you know what else is I think is pretty cool too is that your is that your older brother, you know, he's he's found success on the dirt. You know, I've I've been at a few races of his at that up at Calistoga, um, you know, a couple wins. You know, and then to see you, you know, all of a sudden, you know, decide, you know, you want to take that same path. You know, I'm sure it's going to make it a lot easier on your parents. You know, when it comes to you know, because I know once your dad stopped drag racing, you know he 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 got into dirt racing big time. I mean, it was like it was a, it was a big love of his. Yeah, you know, for sure. He and he's always loved it. He, you know, growing up um, in Fresno around King Speedway and Tulare, he went before he even started drag racing. Um, and and you know, or through his amateur ranks, he he always go to the sprint car races and always thought it was awesome. And I always had so many friends from from the sprint car world. He would, obviously never did it, but he um he was always very involved and. 
and always hung out with the guys from the dirt track and good friends with Tony Stewart and Casey Kane and, and guys like Daniel Sosky that, that are, you know, sprint car champions. So um, it was always a love of his. He just never got the opportunity to really do it. Um, and, and his path took him drag racing. But I think um, he always would have wanted to, dra- uh, you know, race dirt cars if he could. But, um, you know, it was just more of a more of a, a realistic opportunity for me and Dominic to, to go that route. And it's worked out to here. So what would you take from, you know, from this, you know, stock car season, you know, with Bill McAdowney, of course, you know, you're one of the premier teams, you know, in the, you know, when it comes, you know, when they talk about West Series racing, you know, it's always, you know, the BMR team, you know, BMR team, you know, I mean, you know, that Bill puts together an awesome program, you know, it's well-rounded all the way, you know, from the, from the team, you know, to the coaches, you know, to the, and, and even to the equipment, you know, he gives you guys, you know, a great opportunity to make all the whole team winners. No, 100%. Um, you know, being involved with Toyota and, and him having that Toyota backing helps tremendously with driver coaching and, and driver aid um, and, and, and having a team like that. And obviously, it being my first year in pavement um, and driving the 16 car, which has won, you know, countless championships with Derek Krause last year and um, has had so much success. It, it was obviously a big feat, um, and I'm glad that we won a race, and, and that was pretty much, um, you know, obviously the goal to be competitive and, and, and to win races, so. Um, you know, we obviously started the year off pretty rocky, just kind of trying to get my, 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 um, you know, feet on the ground and, and, and get comfortable. Obviously I'm used to racing an, an 80 race schedule instead of a 15 race schedule. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to trial by fire and, and it was, you know, exemplified a lot this year, only racing, I think 15 times. So yeah. Um, and like you said, he, he gives you every opportunity you need to win, uh, especially on the West series. And, and he's, he's won the most championships. He's, he's the most successful West team. So um, being involved with guys like that that know how to win obviously makes my learning curve a lot quicker whenever I start driving. Yeah, you know, and, and actually each show this year, you know, I, I you know, I, I talked to some of your teammates on Sunday. Um, actually, your team on Sunday, you know, they're you know they're talking about you know how much of a you know uh, you know as each race progressed, you know how much you're learning. So, you know, I mean, and the best thing you know is is uh, of course they always say it's seat time, you know, but it's also you know what what you can pick up you know, from race to race. Yeah, 100%. And obviously this year being being so weird with COVID and, um, you know, not having as much testing as normal, it's been tough. And it's, it's the same for everybody, but especially rookies, it, it's extremely tough on us. You know, normally you have a, a day before test and, and you get to dial yourself in more and now you kind of roll out for an hour session, you know, practice qualifying and then you're racing. So um, that was my first time actually being at, or racing at, at, at Roseville. All Northern um, you know, I, I'm used to that a little bit with the sprint car stuff um, in 2018 whenever I kind of ventured out to the Midwest and, and going to places for the first time, and you get three laps of hot laps, and you're right in qualifying. So, um, you know, it, like I said, it was kind of a trial by fire year, but I'm glad that, that I feel like we, we finally found our footing and, and finally getting competitive. Yeah, that's awesome. Now with that, I'm going to turn it back over to Sharon. Okay, Joe. It, it, it was a competitive race, and uh, – uh, did you and Taylor get a chance uh, to talk after the race at all? No, I don't think so. No, no, we didn't. Um, but obviously, whenever you're leading a race like that, and um, you know you make a mistake, obviously you're going to be upset with yourself. And um, I don't normally like to. to, to I, I never tweet stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, I've been on the the other end of that quite a few times, and and you learn from it, and um, you get better. And obviously, he won at Kern and, and pretty much dominated. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I have, yeah. I really have no feelings about the whole thing. I, I won the race, and, and that's the end of it for me. Um, you know, I'll probably race against them in Phoenix, and, and, and that'll be the end of it. Okay, and, and yeah, you know, I'm sure Taylor 
understand too, because like you mentioned, that's kind of the way the racing has been in the Arca Monarch series, uh, with the bumping and the banging. Um and and going into Phoenix this week or is it this weekend? November seventh is coming up, yeah. Uh going into the season finale. What are your thoughts going into Phoenix this weekend? Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of race cars, a lot of good race cars showing up. Uh and and you know, not having much experience on, on those mile racetracks and, and big places like that. I have run Phoenix once, been to Iowa once, and been to Gateway once. So I think, you know, progressing on those big racetracks and kinda of trying to figure out the air and, and how to race those places obviously it's a lot different than, than the all American speedways. So yeah, I think that um we can kinda of gather our info and look back at our notes and, and see where I need to be better and see where the race car needs to be better and, and hopefully gather something and, and be uh, be competitive there November seventh. Oh, okay. Uh, and then that's going to be it. Are there going to be uh, uh, any emotions for you that you're you're uh, not going to be back in a stock car next year? Yeah, for sure. Um, obviously kind of, you know, building a relationship with my guys and, and any time that you work for the race team that you try and become as close to them as possible. And and I definitely have with my guys, you know, John, Brandon, um, Gina, and and Scott and everybody on the team, They uh, they work extremely hard and and they put their heart and soul into it this year like I have. So um, I think it'll it'll be emotional, I think, when the checkered flag flies and we kind of realize this is the end of the road because um, I feel like we've been building so much every race and, and learning so much together. And, and it, obviously it takes time for, for a team like that to build a relationship together and, and for my crew sheet to find out what I like and, and get our communication down. And, and like I said, winning a race definitely um, – was really the icing on the cake for the year and definitely the high point of the year. So I think just go into Phoenix with the same mentality we have been and try and win the race. Um, and I think that, you know, if we all do our job, it's definitely possible. Okay. Uh, without a doubt. And, and uh, it's going to be fun to see how that does play out at uh, Phoenix Raceway this, uh, this weekend for the finale. Now, um, Talk a little bit about your team at Bill McAnally Racing. You mentioned some of them there um, uh, and your teammates because you've got an interesting uh, blend of teammates there. Jesse Lubson uh, kind of leading the points all year long, but you've got a couple of females there too with Holly Holland and uh, Gracie Trotter who had her own victory this year as well. So yeah. talk about yep. racing with that group. No, for sure, Jesse's obviously very talented, um, very young, too, and what he's done at a young age is, is pretty special. So um, to have someone like that lead lead us all four, really, in a way, in and, and performance and success um, is awesome. And to, I've known Holly, actually, for a long time. Um, we raced dirt together. She obviously grew up racing around Oklahoma in micro sprints and stuff. So um, And then meeting Gracie for the first time this year, it's, it's cool to see everybody's personalities and and obviously, we're all going through exactly the same thing, being involved with Toyota and going through that development program. So um, it's kind of nice to, to have someone to talk to, you know, with those other three. And, and they're, they're going through the same struggles you're going through. So um, to have people like that to bounce their ideas off of and, and kind of try and talk about the race car and, and make us all better as a team. Okay. And, of course, Mr. McAnally, Bill McAnally. How, how has it been working with him this year? Yeah, I think one thing I've learned sometimes is, is just close your mouth and open your ears. Um, someone like that, that it's gotten so much sponsorship and, and promoted so much for the West Series and, and really the Canaan Series, which is now the Arca Series, for so long and, and has run such a successful operation. You don't do that by being stupid, um, that's for sure. And I think he, he knows how to run a successful race team, and, and he's shown that this year, especially with Jesse leading the points and having me and Gracie up there too. 
So, um, yeah, I, I think he's someone that you can learn a lot from between, you know, how to handle sponsors and, and how to carry yourself in a professional way. And I think there are things I've taken from this year that I'll, I'll use the rest of my career. That's awesome. Okay, Sal, you have any other questions for Gio before we say goodbye? Yeah, Gio, um, going into the, in, in, into the dirt cars next year, you know, back, you know, to, you know, it's obvious, you know, you really love them. Um, which, uh, which team will you be racing with next year? Yeah, so the team's called KCP Racing out of Des Moines, Iowa. Um, Matt Barbara and Brett Nary on the team. They, they raced for, I think, seven years, um, two on the World of Outlaw Tour with Ian Matson. And then <clears throat> halfway through this year, I came on board with them, and we raced uh, the rest of the World of Outlaws schedule and the All-Star schedule. So, um, yeah, we're, we're going to plan on doing mostly World of Outlaws next year um, with, with kind of maybe a hit and miss here with the All-Stars. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll I'll tell you that World of Outlaws series, it, it, it's awesome. We had them out um, last year at uh, well, we have them every year at um at Vegas, but we had them with the with the they combined them with the Canon West series. And man, I'll tell you, man, they put on a hell a uh, hell of a show. Yes, they did absolutely. I mean, the open wheel cars are, are pretty awesome. I mean, they're they're obviously my first love in racing. Um, and, 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 you know, there, there's nothing like watching a, a wing sprint car go around, a place like Vegas especially, um, a half mile like that where they're, you know, running 13, 14 second laps, which is incredible how much power those things make and, and just, just an incredible raw race car they are. You know, and, and, and so when you talk about the, you know, clicking off the seconds on the laps, how fast they are. I remember the first time I went to Calistoga and I was watching um, Rico and uh, I think Kyle Larson was out there. Tony Stewart was out there. Ricky Stenhouse was out there, and and of course, um, two of the Cadians were out there. Bud and um, uh, gosh, I forget his brother's name is offhand. And boy, they they put on one. I mean, they put on one heck of a show out there. Yeah, you know, it, it's incredible how, how those cars work. Uh, and, and most of the time, on you know, ninety percent of the time when you qualify, you're wide open around the entire racetrack. So. Um, and those things make almost a thousand horsepower. So it's pretty incredible to see the downforce they make. And, and when you're on dirt, you know, which which is amazing um, to, to see how much grip they make and how they they stick those big tires in the ground. Yeah, it is. And with that, Gio, you know, I, I just want to um, uh, congratulate you again on the you know getting the win this you know this uh, past weekend. You know, good luck in two weeks in Phoenix, and um, you know, best of luck next season. And and I'm hoping to get out, you know, and and. Uh, and shoot some dirt racing next year, so maybe I'll see you and your brother Dominic out there. Yeah, for sure. Hopefully, see you guys soon. All right, turn it back over to Sharon. Oh, okay, Jill. I want to give you a chance uh, to do any other shout outs. We've done quite a bit, but in case there's anybody else you want to shout out uh, before we say goodnight. No, I think I'm good. I just thank you guys for putting me on the show. I had a great time. Okay, well, we were happy to have you on, and we hope we stay in touch. Uh, we wouldn't mind having uh, a sprint car driver to come on board uh, on our show. So stay in touch with us, okay? Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Okay. Take care, and good luck uh, at uh, Phoenix and also uh, with sprint car in the coming year. Thank you, guys. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. All right, that was Jill Selsey, and uh, with Bill McAnally Racing, the winner at All-American Speedway uh, this past weekend, uh, Friday, uh, in the ARCA West. So uh, some breaking news there with Jill. So. Yeah, you know what's funny, Sharon? 
it, and and yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know if you picked up on it, but anybody that's involved with the drag racing family, have you noticed how how much fire they have in their interviews? How excited they are, and how and how especially how fast yeah. they talk and they put the words together. I mean, anybody from that NHRA family that we've ever had in the past, and it's I mean, they're just I mean, they're a ball of fire. I mean, they're just they, I mean, they're, explosive they interview passion. with Gio. Oh man, this is a great interview. You know what? Like you said, you know, we got a lot out of it. You know, for the short time we had him on, you know, and I hope we can get him on, you know, in the future, you know, as he starts, you know, racing the, you know, as he starts racing on dirt, you know, just get him on, you know, just to, just to keep, you know, keep tabs, you know, on how the yeah. season's going. Yes, I would love to do that, and I, I hope he does stay in touch with us. Uh, uh, Sal, we're going to have to move along now, too, because uh, we still have the Xfinity and the truck race. Uh, to review, just an update on the Cup race. That race has been pre-scheduled again uh, for Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time at Texas Motor Speedway. The rain just will not stop at Texas this week, and uh, we're definitely looking forward to that race getting into the books as quickly as possible. Uh, actually, from what I what I'm understanding, they're looking more at Thursday now because they say that tomorrow the forecast is worse than today. Oh my goodness! So <laughs> I, I, I mean, we're 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 gonna we're gonna take it day by day, but um, yeah, you know, it's it's um, it, it's just for us, it's just horrible, you know, because we're not used to waiting this long. No, I do point. know that they told the drivers earlier today uh, that they should uh, be prepared to stay. Uh, through Thursday, so but if the race does go to Thursday, Sal, what they're going to do is they're going to have to think about what they're going to do this weekend about the race at Martinsville and whether or not uh, any of that needs to change. So uh, definitely stay tuned. We do have a um, updated page at FanRacing.com where we're putting updates as they become available. Uh, but right now. Uh, and like I say, a, a lot of it can change uh, within a day. As of right now, they're saying Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, uh, but the weather is not looking good. There is definitely a strong possibility it could go into Thursday. So uh, definitely stay tuned there. Uh, looking at the truck series race that took place at Texas, Sheldon Creed was the winner, Sal, age 23, in that number two Chevy truck month Chevrolet and uh, of course he's part of the GMS racing group and uh, Jeff Sankowitz is his crew chief. It was his fourth victory in 52 truck races his fourth victory in 11 top 10 this year, his first victory and his second top 10 finish in six races at Texas Motor Speedway. Austin Hill finished second posting his third top in 10 races at Texas and his 17th top 10 in 2020, Zane Smith, the rookie, finished third, posting his first top 10 finish in three races at Texas. Sheldon Creed leads the points, and uh, we'll get into that in just a few minutes. Uh, but to round out the rest of the uh, lineup here, uh, Rafael Assard, another rookie, came in fourth. Brett Moffitt finished in fifth place. The next five drivers are Matt Crafton. Austin Wayne South, Dylan Lupton, Derek Krause, and Tanner Gray. Uh, that is the brother to Taylor Gray, the winner of the ARCA 
uh, West Race out at Kern County Raceway. So uh, pretty interesting finishing order there. Yeah, it was. And, you know, Sharon, this was by far, you know what, and I'm not the only one, everyone's talking about it, but this is like really one of the ugliest truck races, you know, that, you know, that happened, you know, with all the different in- incidences. And Sheldon Creed, you know, to come out on top, I mean, it was just, he was close into a couple of them. And I don't know how he scathed out of it, but him and Austin Hill, but it was a, it was a, I'll tell you, it was a very, a very awesome win for Sheldon Creed, you know, huge congrats to him, you know, coming out of, uh, you know, from the, um, he came from the um, trophy trucks. He used to race out here mm-hmm. in San Diego and in, in California out here. And then that's where he mm-hmm. started his series, his, uh, his racing, you know, to make the transition into, you know, into stock cars, you know, and then into the truck series, you know, and to, to be, to have the success he's having, man, this, this kid is a, he's a ton of talent. He is, and he raced a lot of uh, Arkham races last year as well. He won the first stage. Uh, it was the 88 of Matt Crafton winning the second stage. Uh, there was no margin of victory because the race ended under caution. Uh, there were 10 caution flags for 49 laps and 14 lead changes among just six drivers. So, Sal, let's go over the points report real quick. Okay, and then the points, like you said, we got Sheldon Creed still leading, Austin Hill in second, um, Faye Smith in third, Brett Moffat in fourth. Is this the points? No, I think, yeah, you're looking at the points. Yeah, well, the points has almost matched the, almost matched the finishing order of the race. <laughs> that's why well, I got kind of mixed up. The, it was the, uh, well, I guess it was the second race. <laughs> Of their uh, round yeah. here, Martinsville yeah. is going to be no, no, the elimination. I, no, 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 no. I know what I'm saying is that the race finish almost yeah. matches yeah. the um, the points. <laughs> you know, so then <laughs> and then fifth we got Matt Crafton. Sixth is Grant Grant Infinger. Seventh is Ben Rhodes. And seventh is Tyler Akram. And then the eighth, actually well, the driver. Eight. Yeah, Tyler's eighth. So that so that's it as far as the. Um, you know, as far as the, you know, top eight, you know, so they got that, like you said, they got the one race in, um, in Martinsville and that's going to decide, you know, who the top four, you know, that are, you know, they're going to make it into the, um, you know, the championship race, you know, two weeks over in Phoenix, which is going to be exciting, you know? Yeah. You know, just real quick on that note, you know, Phoenix, you know, to have, to have a truck race at Phoenix, you know, we haven't had a truck race at Phoenix and gosh, I don't know how long it's been, been moons. I mean, many, many moons, that we've had a truck race in Phoenix, but you know, it's going to be a, 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 uh, an exciting weekend of racing. So those four drivers that are below that cut line right now, Matt Crafton, Grant Infinger, Ben Rhodes, and Tyler Ankrum, uh, they're all going to be racing really hard for that victory in order to move on to the championship four. So uh, Sheldon Creed has uh, made his way in. And uh, it, it's going to be, a, I think, a very uh, bumpy ride, I think, at Martinsville. Uh, but we'll wait and see what happens this weekend. Moving on to the Xfinity race, Harrison Burton, the rookie, came home as the winner at age 20 in the number 20 Martin Building's Dex Imaging Toyota for Joe Gibbs Racing and crew chief Ben Bashore. It was his third victory in 41 Xfinity races, his third victory in 20th top 10 finish this year, 
and his first victory and third top ten finish in four races at Texas. Nor Gregson finished second, posting his first top ten finish in five races at Texas and his 23rd top ten finish this season. Anthony Alfredo in third, posting his first top ten finish in three races at Texas. Uh, Of course, Harrison was the highest finishing rookie. And again, we'll get into the points here in just a minute, but I want to finish the uh, running order here. Uh, Austin Sindrick came home in fourth. Brandon Brown finished fifth. Michael Annette in sixth. Justin Haley seventh. Ryan Vargas, how about that? Uh, He finished eighth. Josh Williams in ninth. And Tommy Martins rounding out the top ten here in the Xfinity Series. Again, a very interesting lineup there in the top ten, JSL. Yes, and you know what? That I don't know where Harrison Burton came from in that last lap, <laughs> but Noah was way out in front. And I, I, I don't, I don't know if maybe Noah just didn't race harder. You know, I know after the race, a couple of the guys were saying, you know, I don't, you know, that guy must have put something in his fuel or something. You know, just joking me, you know, you know, from to come back. And, and I mean, just swoop around Noah the way he did because it looked like Noah was sitting still. But I don't know if Noah just thought, figured he had the race won and, you know, put in cruise control or what happened. But Or Harrison was that fast. But I'll tell you, man, when Harrison flew by him and I was like, what the heck just happened? Because Noah had that race in the bag. <laughs> well, Brandon Jones won uh, the first stage. Harrison won the second stage. The margin of victory was point four four five seconds. 10 caution flags for 51 laps, 19 lead changes among 10 drivers. Uh, that's huge. Let's go over the points real quick. Okay, points. Chase Briscoe still leading the points with uh, with nine wins this season. Gosh, amazing. And then Austin mm-hmm. Sidrick second with five wins. Third is Justin Algeyer and Justin Haley round out the top four. And then the next four down is Brandon Jones, Ross Chastain, Noah Gregson and Ryan Sieg, who are all in – Noah and Ryan are actually in, I think, Ross are all in a, in a must-win situation in order to get into the next round. Yes, they are. And I, I just wish that win had come just a race or two sooner for Harrison Burton because I would have loved to have seen him be in the playoffs this season. Uh, but he's got nothing to hang his head about this year because – uh, three wins on the season is fantastic, and it's right up there with the best guys in the series. Um, Ryan Seeks had some good runs, uh, and I, I think it's possible we might see some good things from some of these guys that are below the cut line uh, coming up at Martinsville. Yeah, it's, it's going to be, I'll tell you, having, having Martinsville as a race, you know, before the um, you know before the final cutoff, you know, I think I think that was a good decision on NASCAR's part especially for this series, well, actually for all the series, but, but for this series, because, you know, you're going to have some hung, those last four drivers, you have some hungry drivers out there, you know, trying to, you know, grab that win. And, um, you know, it just seems like Chase Briscoe and, and Austin Cedric, you know, they're just, I mean, they're, unbeatable. they're hard to beat. Uh, yeah. They're like, they unbeatable. Are. you know, they're having a phenomenal seasons, you know, and even Justin Algar, you know, he's had his, he's had his moments too, you know, um, you know, but it's going to be interesting because there's a there's a couple of drivers that are wanting to get in. You know, that aren't afraid, you know, to move their teammate per se, you know, or move anybody, you know, to get that win. So, um, exactly. you know, I, I'm I'm 
I'm sure we're going to see, you know, we're going to see a, a really rough and probably a, a, maybe some fists after this fight, after this race. I mean, <laughs> you know, some fighting, uh, some yeah, fighting after this race know. because oh, there's going to be some because I know some Especially of these drivers are not, they're not going to. Yeah, they're not. They're they're the the gloves are off. You know what? You're you're fighting for a shot at a championship, so you know it's People it's all, every man for himself. Sure. Are you going yeah. to be at the track this weekend, uh, Sal? You know what? I was supposed to go to the All American 400 with Derek, but uh, you know I didn't. I didn't go. I, I need to take a weekend to spend time with with uh, with my wife. I mean, I've been gone the past three weekends, and I got two, three more races left this season, and um, you know, and and uh, she's having surgery next next weekend, so I didn't want to oh, go in. Yeah, I didn't want to go this weekend, you know, to Nashville. And then next week, if she has a surgery, which means she's going to be down all weekend, you know, and then sure. two weeks after that, I'll, you know, then I have a, uh, another two-week skid of racing. So, you know, I opted out and said, you know, I'll just, you know, we're going to we're gonna go out and spend some time in town this weekend. And, uh, you know, and, but um, I'll tell you that, that, uh, that West race. We yeah, wish that, you the that best, race. Yeah, thanks. You know, yeah, she, she's going to need it. She's afraid. But other than that, um it was a good show today for for the time okay, that we had, well, you know. I enjoyed it Go as ahead, well, Sharon. and I thought both interviews went really well. So uh, yeah. thanks for all that you do, Sal. We look forward to talking right. to you again next Monday night. Okay. Good night, you guys. Have a safe – stay safe out there during this COVID pandemic thing, and um, you guys have a good show, and um, we'll talk to everybody next week. All right. Good night, Sal. Okay, good night. All right. Up, up next is our Hot Topic Sound Off with our fan for racing crew. And at first, I'm going to bring in our co-host, Andy. Welcome back to the show, Andy. Appreciate it. How are you guys doing tonight? Oh, really well. Uh, do, looking forward to our Hot Topics here tonight. Uh, also joining us uh, tonight is uh, uh, Jay Huseman. Welcome to the show, Jay. All right, I get to be number two. That means uh, Mike's number three. I like it. <laughs> okay, welcome to the show, Mike. It's good to have you back. Hello. Yeah, it's good to be back. It's, uh, right. it's been a little while. So I was wondering if you guys have forgotten about me. We did not forget about you. Uh, but uh, we've got a full house here tonight uh, with our fan for racing crew. So, Andy, uh, uh, why don't you kick us off with the first top topic for tonight? Well, I hate to start off so negative, but I guess we can't ignore the weather at Texas. That's probably been the topic of the week so far. So, unfortunately, let's let's get that one out of the way first. All right. Uh, uh, Jay, what are your thoughts here about uh, all this rain at Texas and uh, what's going on with our Cup Series? Well, from my, from my aspect, this is going to be a real short topic. It's raining. There's nothing you can do about it. You deal with it as best you can, and they are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's not <laughs> ideal, obviously, and nobody likes rain delays. Uh, you know, they talk about the impact it has on the teams, on the TV network, the broadcasting. They've been trying to cover a race for two days now, three days, and they keep filling it with other programming or whatever and moving programs. So I'm trying to avoid a particular word here. Yeah, it's not great, but uh, not a whole lot you can do about it, and you just got to roll with it uh, or row. Row, I guess, in this case, <laughs> might be a better word. 
What what really to me is is the fact that it's not even rain. Apparently, it's this just really heavy, heavy mist, uh, and that's yes. what's really appalling about the whole thing to me. Yeah, is it, it it's just a heavy mist that it's enough to get the track wet. Um, but other than that, yeah, like I said, it's not ideal, but got to do what we got to do. And I feel bad for the team because I know they're going to be in crunch zone coming into from out there at Texas, getting uh, cars and teams back to the Charlotte area, and then out to Martinsville as well. Okay. Mike, your thoughts? Well, they said that there's not anything they can do about it, but there is. And there's been a lot of talk about it over these past couple of days. And that thing is rain tires. <laughs> Clint Boyer specifically said they, yeah, he would like to see them try rain tires. I believe Dale Earnhardt Jr. has said the same. And it used to be just sacrilege. We couldn't run rain tires on an oval. But we just saw two weeks ago – they ran the Xfinity race on the Charlotte. Uh, granted, it was the Roval, but they were up on the NASCAR bank turns doing probably 120 to 150 miles an hour in parts of that track in a torrential downpour. And what do you know? The best stock car drivers in the world were able to adjust their driving style in order to have a safe and relatively competitive race despite the weather conditions. So. I don't know. It's probably too late to try it for this Texas race. Hopefully we get some good weather tomorrow and it's kind of moot either way. But I do really think they should bring back another look at running oval races on rain tires. Well, Mike, I hate to rain on your parade, but I would not be in favor of that. Um, I, I don't think the rain tires on the oval is a good idea. Um, if that race had been at the, on the Robo on rain tires, they got through it. It was messy, but they did get through it. Uh, I would prefer to wait it out. And I know that they're spending an awful lot of money on jet fuel. Uh, it's it's uh, wreaking havoc with everybody's schedules this week. Uh, the drivers are just sitting around waiting for a race to take place. But uh, I, for one, would not be in favor of that. Uh, but, Andy, I'm curious to know what your thoughts are. Yeah, obviously unfortunate, I think, is the, the first word that comes to mind. I, in in uh, 20 years of, of watching this sport, I'm not sure that I've seen a cup race pushed to at least Wednesday, probably more like Thursday at this point. And I guess that mm-hmm. begs the question of what happens you know, with Martinsville, it sounds like there might be some tweaks there, although I've seen it said already that the Sunday race wouldn't be impacted even if they ran Texas on Thursday. So I guess that's some good news, but, you know, obviously it puts teams in a bit of a crunch to try to do a quick turnaround and get haulers and equipment moved across the country and all that. So it certainly is wreaking havoc and probably will impact the Martinsville weekend in some form or fashion, probably with the other series. Um, Just, you hate to see it, you know, and that does, I guess, bring up the question of whether or not they could run rain tires from what I've seen you know, just varying opinions on social media, take that for what it's worth. It doesn't seem like it's feasible, but that's not to say that with the infinite wisdom and technology of the 21st century, they couldn't figure something out down the road. Who knows? But thankfully, I guess when it's all said and done, these types of delays are are very few and far between. Like I said, I don't recall in in a very, very long time that they've ever had a race pushed this far into the week. And it's just kind of crazy that it's, you know, right in the thick of the playoffs with only, um, you know, three cup series races remaining, but nonetheless, I guess, these types of things thankfully don't come up very often. And, um, you know, hopefully, 
hopefully they can get this thing in. Looked like, honestly, Sharon, I thought that they were going to be running this thing during the show tonight, which I was excited about, that they might actually get it in, and then right when it looked like it was possible, it all went away. So that's unfortunate. Maybe they'll get it in tomorrow, and um, if not tomorrow, maybe Thursday. Um, Yeah, you just hate to see it, but like I said, thankfully these are very rare. Okay, Uh, Jay, any follow-up? As far as the rain tire, um, I wouldn't be opposed to them testing it, but I don't think they should find out by doing it in a race. And take a look at, like, say, a a marathon, the Boston Marathon. If it's that windy out or something and it it ends up to be people out there walking at a fast pace, is that still the excitement of a running marathon? No, it's not. (laughs) It can be done, yes, but that really takes away from what it is. So I I don't think that that's the answer. If you were to, like I said, do some testing on it um, and make sure it is safe, that would be the number one concern where it comes in. And if drivers have to only go a quarter throttle or a half throttle, to me there is no point in it because then it's a matter of who can not make the mistake, not that it isn't already, but of who can not make the mistake or, you know, have a screw-up. It takes it to another level, I think. And I, I don't particularly want to see that. If they were to develop a good tire that would work on an oval, my thought would be on a, a on a shorter track and maybe not as a, a bank track, but then you run into the problem that we saw uh, at the roval in the spots where it was down in the bottom and in the valley, then you got the puddling. So you kind of need the banking, but you kind of don't want the banking because with the speed and the grip they need, you're not going to find it. So I, I just I think it's a dangerous thing to even risk or or trying unless Mm -hmm. you know 100 percent it's going to work so for them to say okay we'll find out here at texas i think would be a very bad idea like i said i want i would want to see some thorough testing uh with it before uh you know starting with one car and then a couple of cars side by side whatever but i just i don't think that is the answer i truly don't mike your follow-up you know, I kind of I like the idea. I think it's something that they should look into. We've seen a lot of rain delays this year, so it's, you know, none none as, as bad as Texas has been at least so far. Hopefully, hopefully this is the extent of it. But we've seen several rain delays this year, and with more data being gathered, especially at Charlotte uh, two weeks ago, I think it really does open the door of being something to take a look at. I agree with Jay that maybe it's not the best to just throw it right into a race that was originally scheduled to be run during the dry without any testing that's probably not the way to do it but then again if they do want to do it it's not too late i know of a company who is a major sponsor of one of the teams who would be able to get all the tires they want out to them overnight or it's free um so they could probably make it still work at texas but in all seriousness i agree with jay in that let's uh, let's get it tested first but I don't think that it would inherently be a bad race. It'd be a very different race, but different isn't necessarily bad. Um, It would definitely get away from the dirty air discussion. We'd have something else to talk and complain on Twitter about. So that might be some benefit right there in and of itself. Well, (laughs) I think it's a a little bit of a knee-jerk reaction. It's the first time in how long we've had a race go this long uh, as far as being delayed. Um, yeah, we've had some rain this year, uh, but that doesn't mean that we're going to have that every year. And I do agree with Jay. I agree with Jay on a lot of his points, but this one hasn't been mentioned yet. I agree with Jay. 
that it's going to be a very, very different kind of a race and not necessarily the kind of racing that's intended. Um, if, when we watch those guys on the Robo in the rain, the torrential downfall that they had, there was a lot of safe driving that was going on. And, and they had to do safe driving because it was hazardous conditions. Um, so I, I really don't think it's a good idea. I just don't. Uh, I, I think that uh, they really need to think about this long and hard before they think about using rain tires on an oval like that, especially with the banking. Some of the flatter tracks, maybe, but n- not on the oval banked tracks. Uh, I think you're asking for disaster uh, to strike uh, and kind of pushing it to a level that we don't really need uh, to go to. So. That's just my thoughts on it. Andy, your your final comments? Yeah, I mean, not a lot of follow-up other than, than I tend to agree in that, you know, I'm, I'm not sure that stock cars are meant to race in the rain. I mean, that's not to say that they couldn't develop something down the road, you know, to where they could do it. But, you know, the thing about that Xfinity race at the Roval, there was, uh, you know, just it, the conditions were borderline ridiculous Horrible. there at times during the race. You know, and people were spinning off the track left and right, a lot of torn up race cars. And, you know, you know, it would just lead to, I think, you know, disastrous conditions. I know there were a lot of people that thought it was pretty cool, but I mean, and it was pretty entertaining to watch. But, um, you know, you got to remember that that's obviously a road course. And, I, and to Mike's point, I do realize that, you know, they were, you know, up on the banking at relatively high speeds. But part of the problem with that is the water that's generated, you know, that from the tires getting kicked up and it makes the visibility almost none basically. So there's a lot of, there's just a lot of obstacles that don't make it necessarily the most feasible option to where I'm not sure I'd want to see it. I think it would make a a mockery out of a race if they tried it. So um, like I said, thankfully these these delays that we're seeing are just, they're they're rare. They don't happen that often. And um, you know, hopefully they'll get it in, like I said, in the next day or two, and we'll go on from there. We had a driver on talking about racing in that race, and he said the visibility was horrible. Sometimes he was going into the corner and couldn't even see if he was going to make the corner or not. Uh, so I, I, I just think it's too dangerous, uh, but I'll end it with that. Uh, Jay, what's the next hot topic? Uh, Martin Truex, uh, let's start there. That's really where I thought uh, Andy was going to take this first one. But to me, that was the biggest thing of the weekend, a playoff driver who is in a desperate situation and then gets tagged with an illegal spoiler. And I'll let it go around first. Okay, Mike. Yeah, this is a huge penalty. Um, if this was not your normal tech failure, you got to start in the back kind of a deal. Uh, this was, I believe, a 20-point penalty. Correct me if I'm wrong, 20 points for the driver and the owner points, um, which basically puts Martin Truex in, I don't think, a mathematical must-win position, but depending on how he finishes this Texas race ever gets going, he could very well go into Martinsville in an absolute must-win situation in order to advance in the playoffs. And the other thing, Remember at the beginning of the playoffs, Ryan Blaney had that penalty regarding the ballast in there. And Sharon, you were very much of the opinion that 
that knocked the team's momentum off more so than just whatever the performance the actual car would have, but that had more of an effect on the team's momentum. So I'm really wondering if we're going to see a momentum shift with the 19 team. They've been running fairly well, but I'll be interested to see how they react to this penalty and if it has the kind of devastating effect on the team that the, uh, the penalty did on Ryan Blaney's team. Okay, Andy. You know, I would have thought that it would have had a devastating effect on the team. I mean, certainly it, it has put them in a in a must-win scenario, but, you know, their car was really fast yesterday up until the red flag, or whenever they ran this, I guess, three days ago, two days ago. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, they were, they were pretty fast up until the red flag. And, um, man, I don't know if this hasn't, you know, kind of played right into their hands to some degree. Um, you know, I'm not sure if the crew chief – who was suspended remained at the track or not, but if he isn't at the track, you know, they've got the crew chief back at the shop prepping and working on Martinsville, whereas all the other teams crew chiefs are out in Texas. So that might be an advantage for that team. Plus they won the spring race there. So um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, they're certainly in a, in a must win scenario. And I, I think that it's, a, it's unfortunate that they had that happen, but you know, I mean, these teams all try to push to the, the limits that they can to get the max performance out of their, their cars. We see it all the time and, you know, they get busted, you know, I mean, it's just, just the nature of the sport really. I know we, we're not necessarily fans of it, but I think at one time or another, our favorite driver and team have all been kind of part of something like that. So um, just the nature of the sport. And, you know, like I said, I'm not, I'm not really sure at this point if it hurts them that much because you know, if the crew chief didn't remain in Texas and went home, you know, you got a key person working on stuff for Martinsville. And like I said, they did win the spring race there. So are they in a must-win scenario? Yes, they are. But they have a very fast car for Texas, probably going to have a fast piece for Martinsville and still a really good chance to make that final four. So they're at a bit of a deficit, but by all means not out of this at all. Yeah, you bring up some good points, Andy, and and uh, so did you, Mike. Uh, I, I, you're right. I did say that about Ryan Truex, and I think it did kind of affect his momentum. Uh, but we're talking about two different teams here, and I was kind of shocked, disappointed that it happened, but shocked when I came and looked at the running order uh, at the red flag and saw that after starting from the back, that Martin Truex was up to fifth. <laughs> In the, I think it was fifth in the running order uh, when the race stopped. Uh, so that kind of surprised me a little bit. Uh, if it's, he, he was up in the top ten, I know that. Um, so he obviously recovered, I think, fairly well. And, Andy, you bring up some really good points in a way. This kind of plays into, his, into their hands with the crew chief being able to be at home and uh, getting ready for – uh, the upcoming race at Martinsville. So, you know, time will tell whether or not it will disrupt his momentum. But I think he's a more, um, what do you, established team, if you will. And I do think that Martin Truex has been one of these uh, we don't ever give up kind of attitudes. And uh, he's kind of instilled that throughout the organization. And uh, I think that these guys, if anything, I think the other possibility here is that it could really motivate them uh, to either win at Texas or to go out there and win at Martinsville. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? 
Well, and I, I hadn't even thought of the perspective that Andy said. It could actually come out to be an advantage, like you said, uh, the crew chief being back at the shop already, as I believe he was uh, forced to leave already on Sunday before the rain came and they started the race. So that kind of does give them an advantage, if you will, it, even if it's psychological. The other team's got to be thinking it of, hey, they've had an extra extra guy and an extra week, as it turns out now, because their crew chiefs obviously can't be at the shop Um working on and planning, although they can be, I'm sure, doing some coordination already via the other other ways um, to work with the, the shop, guys that are back at the shop. What I think NASCAR needs to look at, and I know this might not be a hugely popular thing, but we went from, it used to be, okay, they car, winning car was found to be illegal, docked a few points or whatever, it didn't hurt them. Then they said, okay, we're going to take away the win. This is one where I almost think they maybe need to look at, hey, if it happens during the playoffs, you're out of the playoffs. Uh, I mean, as as you've seen, he's come back to fifth place. Understand now it's with a approved legal spoiler, if you will, but where is the penalty? Because he also still has the chance, a very great chance, to be winning at Martinsville, not only based on his history, but based on the fact that crew chief is now back working at the shop. So, where truly is the penalty? He was kind of borderline already in a must-win situation, but even that of, okay, it's okay because I can win the next week and still move on to the championship. And I know, Sharon, you're, you've been one that has said all along, you don't want your champion to be somebody that has been busted for any type of discretion throughout the season. You're talking about in the final races just to get to the championship. So, it might be something to look at of of that, of, hey, you're out of this round. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, I think this kind of exposes a little bit of a weakness with the, uh, the win and you advance kind of playoff format because kind of like Jay said, you, you really you, – you've got two extremes in terms of penalties, right? You've got the ex- one extreme, which is – a very ineffective penalty, which doesn't really have a long-term consequence and can be immediately reversed to, to be absolutely nothing. If Martin Truex wins at the resumed Texas race or at the Martinsville race this coming weekend, that penalty is completely meaningless. That, you know, those 20 points meant absolutely nothing. But on the other end of that spectrum is maybe a little bit too harsh where you say, Hey, we found one illegal modification on your car and now your team is no longer eligible for the championship. That's probably a little bit too harsh. The problem is, given the current playoff and championship format, I don't know how to find a middle ground in there. I'm not smart enough to wrap my head around that one. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Andy? Well, I mean, I think the points deficit in itself is is fairly significant. You're you're forcing a team into a must-win scenario, which he's very capable of, but um, you know, you, you have to go out there and win the race, you know, whether it be at Texas or at Martinsville, and, and that's a tall order. Um, this is a team that I think it's fair to say has been a little bit off this year, too. They only have one win, um, you know, throughout the season so far. So, you know, I, I, I kind of feel like the, the penalty in itself puts them in a scenario where they have to perform. And I guess if they can go out there and they can win a race with a car that is, you know, legal – and everything's up, you know, up and okay, then I guess they have earned the right to continue moving forward just as anybody else in the playoffs. So I, I kind of feel like, you know, the penalty in itself is, 
is probably severe enough. Like like I said, it puts them in a must-win scenario, and if, if they can get the job done, then then I guess you know they've fairly and squarely gotten themselves out of that hole. So um, we'll see what they can do, but you know I do think they have two really good chances to win in advance. Yeah, I think it's obvious that this team was trying to push the envelope as far as they can push it uh, this weekend because they had trouble passing inspection as well, pre-race inspection. Uh, They had the penalty. uh, The crew chief was ejected from the track. uh, And and you're right, Jay. I don't like the idea of a champion uh, being crowned and knowing that they cheated throughout the season. But I think when when I was saying that, I was talking about multiple times being um, uh, penalized. Uh, This, they have been, they have had trouble getting through inspection at times. Joe Gibbs Racing as a whole has had trouble getting through inspection sometimes. Uh, But I do want, uh, I do want us to crown a champion who is, is uh, gone by the rules and done it the right way and not uh, gone over the level. My big question has always been, if we've got engineers that are so brilliant that they know how to go just that inch outside of the line, why can't they go that inch to the inside of the line? Um, uh, It's just... I understand why it happens, and and you guys are right. It happens to a lot of the good teams at some point or another. But uh, I just uh, I don't like the idea of crowning a champion uh, with the, under those circumstances. But here's the thing, and you guys brought it up. Martin Truex Jr. has not been having a banner year. Could he go out and win the championship? It's certainly possible if he's able to win at Texas or he's able to win at Martinsville and advance to the Final Four. Um, I don't know that Phoenix necessarily plays into his wheelhouse, if you will, but uh, uh, it's certainly possible he could go out and win at Phoenix. Is it likely? I I don't think it's likely that that's going to happen, just given the kind of year that he's had. Uh, but, you know, we have to kind of wait and see what happens. Like you said, uh, it's either going to drop the momentum of the team or it could uh, re-energize them in some way. But NASCAR's really got to be on their toes and make sure that these guys are following the rules uh, in these next couple of races for sure. So, Jay, your your final thoughts. Well, it's 2020, so uh, it always kind of throws things out of whack. I'm going to continue with that and agree with Mike. Mike brought up a good point. Understand the whole kicking him out of the playoffs is the the, the far extreme. Um, but like he said, if he wins either this, the Texas race when they finish it up tomorrow or whenever, or the Martinsville race, the penalty doesn't even matter. So there's there's got to be something in between, and that's where I just think NASCAR has to look really hard at that uh, and they do have smart guys uh, rather than Mike or I to come up with that plan or idea. But I do think there needs to be something there uh, for me. And obviously this is, this is a point to it. At least the race that they came with the illegal car start a couple of laps down where it's really unlikely that they're going to win the race. Uh, starting at the back obviously wasn't a penalty for a top team like that. We've seen, especially um, your top tier teams, Hendrick, 
uh, or Joe Gibbs be able to come from the back. Coming from the back up to fifth in the 52 laps, very impressive. I don't care if it's by pitch strategy or whatever. They obviously have a fast car. But that goes to the point of, like you said, they haven't been having the banner year. They haven't been running top five and contending for the wins. So were they already in that must-win situation and desperate Mm -hmm. that they even tried that? Because from my understanding, the spoiler is one of those that NASCAR gives you. You don't touch it. You put it on, you don't touch Mm -hmm. it. So I don't know, and I don't know exactly what was wrong with it and how they had it on or whatever, but that is one of those that is, is very high on the list of you don't mess with. So to me, that, that tells me that they know the desperate situation they're in and they got caught. Now, it is possible that it happened by accident or, again, especially in post-race penalties when a corner is too low, they say it's because of the race damage and this and that. That's where I, I, I agree with Mike that maybe the automatically out of the playoffs is a little extreme. But it's also if that's there and that's the, the, the promise, I think, then what Sharon says comes into play. These engineers and crew chiefs are going to make sure they're on the inside of the line, not on the very edge or outside. Okay. Uh, Let's go ahead and move on to the next topic, Mike. Well, uh, got to talk about the drama from the truck series race, especially that between uh, Ben Rhodes and the field, but especially between Ben Rhodes and Christian Eckes. Uh, regarding their, uh, I think it was two to go, the wreck that uh, that Ben Rhodes caused with Christian Eckes. Okay, Andy, I didn't see the race, so I'm curious to hear what everybody has to say about it. Yeah, this one, um, this one was a bit bothersome. So I, I would say, Sharon, if you get the chance to to watch the replay or recaps or whatever, you you, you would want to go back and see it. This one was was particularly bothersome because, um. You know, Ben just flat out right reared and and spun the 18 truck into the wall at speed on the front straightaway. It was blatantly intentional and, quite frankly, probably should have um, bought suspension or possibly subsequent suspensions. You know, there's a difference between hard racing and an accident, and there's, you know, in between that and, and an intentional wreck. And, you know, Ben was frustrated because he felt like the 18 ran him up the track, you know, apparently on more than one occasion. And, you know, in the replay that was shown, you know, they were simply side by side coming off the corner. And, you know, there was really no no imminent, you know, running into the wall for roads. And he just apparently didn't like the fact that he got you know, he didn't like the fact he's being raced really is what it comes down to. And he made a really poor choice. And the problem with that is, you know, and, and like I said, I'm, I'm not trying to be too critical on him. You know, he's obviously working hard to try to get to that final four, but you just, you cannot wreck someone and turn him head on into the fence. You know, it's going as fast as they are. Uh, Eke's could have been hurt, you know, or worse. And, mm-hmm that kind of behavior is just flat out unacceptable. And, and he's almost guaranteed to not win a championship this year. He's made so many enemies that he is without a doubt going to get wrecked at Martinsville. That's how bad it was. And it wasn't just the 18 team, you know, there was an, an incident later in the race where, um, 
you know, there was apparently retaliation from a kind of Bush Motorsports teammate and it impacted a smaller team and that smaller team was upset with the 99. So just a lot of enemies made and, and just unfortunate decisions made, um, you know, trying not to be too difficult on them here as I say this, but I just felt like the, the accident with Eckes was intentional. It was very obvious and there was little to no remorse and there was no responsibility taken for the actions. And it's just really unfortunate to see that. And I just, I just feel like there's no place for that in the sport. So hopefully uh, moving forward, he can kind of figure things out a little bit because the behavior exhibited by him was really frustrating. And I know it, it got me kind of upset. I, I don't think we had a group chat going for that race, but when I watched it, it was, it was really frustrating to see it. I think a lot of fans were frustrated too. Okay, Jay. Well, I have some concern as far as I know this was a Rhodes take on it was that the 18s actions were in retaliation for what happened earlier in the race with the 51 kind of playing it off of, okay, the 51 isn't the one that retaliated, so he can't uh, be have anything put on him as far as penalty or blame because it was the 18. But if it was a team truck, kind of makes you wonder. And I, I don't like to get into the conspiracy thing. I understand he was frustrated. I do think his actions then, uh, as Andy said, cross a line and, and can become very dangerous. So it's one of those – and. I, I actually had it listed as there were three that I saw throughout the weekend. Um, one of them actually stemming over from last weekend, but the tension of the playoffs and, and advancing and some of the issues we've seen between drivers really coming to a boiling point here at the end of the year uh, with the playoff pressure as well. So I, I don't know if NASCAR is that, is that part of what they took into consideration under, under the situation. I know I saw where it said they don't anticipate, uh, or it was reported that NASCAR had reviewed it, talked with Rhodes and Eckes, and they don't expect any further penalties. A um, little bit shocking there because it did appear to be very blatant and retaliatory um, from that aspect. So that kind of surprises me. Um, I know they've had the drivers have added attitude over the past few years with a few exceptions, uh, Matt Kenseth being one and Kyle Busch being another, where we've seen a driver – um, suspended or sat out for a race or two. Kind of surprising, though, that they took as a Mika standard uh, stance as they did. Uh, I'm not sure, again, what the right answer is. Uh, part of it looked to be hard racing. And like I said, uh, you could kind of piece it together that it may have been, may have been a teammate retaliating in the, on behalf of somebody else. Don't know. Uh, you'll never know that unless somebody comes out and outright ad- admits it, but uh, I think it's a bad situation, and it's not something we like to see in the sport. So I do think NASCAR does need to do something, though, to make sure to address it and they say, hey, we can't allow this to happen. Um, and we've seen that in the past when they've, they've sat drivers out for a race. And I would think that very unfortunate for roads. We'll have to see how it plays out in the future if NASCAR does do anything further. I know they said it's not anticipated so, though. Well, hearing what I'm hearing, I am disappointed because uh, I expect more out of Ben Rhodes. Uh, I don't know the whole situation there, but uh, it's just not acceptable to just flat out wreck another driver. I've never uh, felt that that was acceptable, and I don't care who the driver is. Um, You just don't 
use your car as a weapon on the draft. It's, it's not acceptable. And uh, uh, I am kind of surprised that NASCAR didn't take a stronger stand on that uh, and and maybe uh, take him out of the race. Uh, but uh, And I don't know what led up to it. So uh, I will go back and take a look at it. Uh, but we knew... Uh, that this was coming. We knew that the intensity of getting into the next round of the playoffs to be a part of that final four, that the intensity was going to ratchet up. To me, that's the one thing that uh, I think uh, kind of brings out the worst (laughs) in some of these drivers is uh, the intensity uh, that is put upon them to make it into this final four. Uh, what concerns me is that it could be uh, a very bad decision on his part that could end up uh, possibly putting him out of a ride for next season, uh, especially uh, I think this has been like the second or third time that we've seen something like this, and uh, I don't think that bodes really well for him because like you said, uh, Andy, uh, there's just no way, even if he wins a race at Martinsville, uh, that he's going to uh, win a championship uh, because he's made a lot of enemies out there on the track. And and you guys all know how I stand. You know, we've been a follow-up, a follower of Ben Rhodes uh, throughout the years, uh, and I just think that when we get to this time of the year, it, it just seems like it brings out the worst in some of these drivers and uh, for whatever reason they get they can be one person when they're outside of the car when they get behind the wheel of these cars or trucks and it comes to uh, trying to win their way into uh, the final four lineup uh, the worst kind of comes out we see the worst side of their um, behaviors so Mike I'm curious to know what your thoughts are yeah, really, when it comes down to it, I, I get that retaliation happens on the racetrack, whatever. I, I, I get there's certain circumstances, but no matter what it is, absolutely nothing else that happens on the racetrack can justify using your vehicle as a weapon like Ben Rhodes did. You don't right rear another driver head on into the wall at any racetrack, but especially not yeah. in a place like Texas where they're doing a buck 80 down the front straightaway. It was blatant. It was intentional, and on the radio right after the incident, I forget exactly the words he said, but it was basically, that's what you get for racing me like that. So it, was, it wasn't even like he can play it off as a racing deal. He's on tape. He said specifically that, that Christian Eckes, quote, got what he gets for, uh, for racing him like that. And the thing that really floors me about it is we saw a very similar wreck at Pocono earlier in the year where Justin Haley uh, wrecked, I believe it was Riley Herbst, in a very similar manner, right rear mm-hmm. into the wall at Pocono. And NASCAR held Justin Haley during the race for two laps for that, for intentionally wrecking him. I thought that was a little bit uh, light for a penalty for, for doing something like that to another driver, but at least it was something. And I understand it was at the very end of the race at Texas, so really holding Ben Rhodes for two laps there probably wouldn't have been a uh, significant penalty. But they should hold him at least for two laps to start Martinsville next week if they're not going to do anything else. If anything else, that gives the consistency of if you intentionally wreck another driver uh, and it's very clearly, obviously, and admittedly not just a racing incident, we're going to hold you two laps. 
And I think that would, uh, that would establish a little bit more consistency with that. But, yeah, I don't think it's excusable or defensible what Ben Rhodes did, no matter what mm-hmm. kind of other ways that, uh, that guys raced him on the racetrack that day. Okay, Andy, your follow-up? Yeah, and I think, you know, the unfortunate part about all this, too, is, you know, you've got a, you've got a team that works really hard on those trucks, and not only was a truck torn up unnecessarily, um, you know, because the, the 99 was involved in a later wreck, you know, that resulted from retaliation from the Ekes wreck. So not only did you see a torn-up truck at Texas, but, you know, the odds of getting involved in something – at Martinsville just went sky high because of the, the enemies that have been made. So, and that may probably lead to not making the championship four. So it's just really a really unfortunate set of circumstances that affects, you know, everyone that works on that truck, because, you know, we've got a situation of torn up trucks and a situation where the odds of winning the championship pretty much went to zero. So it's really too bad. Like I, you know, I, I hate to speak ill of somebody because I, I think that, you know, he's a good kid that, that has a future in the sport. But, I mean, there was no denying what took place during the truck race. And it was, I mean, I'll admit I was pretty pretty frustrated about it. So, I, if you haven't seen it, whoever's listening, Sharon, I know you included, go take a look and, and see what you think. And, you know, certainly would love to hear your opinion on what you see. Um, there's a, I think... You know, I, I kind of felt insulted to some degree because in his interview, he basically tried to tell everyone watching that it wasn't intentional and that we don't know what's going on because we weren't behind the wheel, uh, which is exactly what was said in the post-race interview. But I, I hate to say it, I think a lot of us who've been watching for 15, 20, 30 years know what an intentional mm-hmm. wreck looks like. So, um, yeah, I you know, got to, got to learn to take some accountability and there was none of that taken, unfortunately. So all I can say is the Martinsville truck race, uh, probably ought to grab a big old bowl of popcorn for that sucker because there was a lot of tempers and frustration <laughs> from Texas and probably from the season that are all going to culminate with this, this good old fashioned short track race this weekend. So, um, it's going to be a fun one, but yeah, just, just unfortunate really, you know, I hope that, you know, if there's anything that comes out of this, hopefully it's, you know, maybe some lessons learned and, you know, maybe some different actions taken moving forward. Mm-hmm. Jay? Yeah, we'll have to see how he is moving forward. Uh, like you guys said, it, his chances of a championship might be completely gone. I know there were several uh, other teams that felt like he was at fault, even though they might have been taken up in the, the latter part of the mess. They They felt like where the root of the problem was, goes back to him. So that's who they were holding accountable. Um, We'll have to see. And it's kind of funny, Sharon, and I talked about this uh, the last two weeks, I believe. Martinsville, we know, is already a amped up track where tempers flare. It is now the final race of the playoffs uh, this round, a final chance to get in. And then now you throw in some of these things that have happened at Texas, which we said we thought might, we might be seeing coming. Um, that is just going to add to it. So I, th- I think Martinsville is going to be can't miss TV come next weekend. Yeah, I think we're talking uh, steroids at Martins- Martinsville. Um, it- it's it's going to be amped up for sure. And uh, you know, I-, I you know, like I said, I followed Ben Rhodes for a long time. He's a really nice guy, uh, but I do think that uh, the 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 stress 
of getting into this championship four uh, brings out the worst in people. And uh, uh, I'm not, I'm not condoning the behavior in any way, shape, or form. It's it's inexcusable uh, to use your car as a weapon on the track. I, I fully 110% agree with all of that. So uh, I feel like uh, uh, I agree with the idea of if they couldn't sit him out for two laps uh, at Texas, hold him for those two laps at Martinsville, uh, and he's he's going to have to make it up. Uh, and I don't know if he looks at it any differently now that he's seen tape uh, and he's kind of seen uh, how transparent all of that is, Andy. Um, but uh, it, it, an apology would probably be in order here as well. Uh, and uh, uh, I don't know if we'll get it or not, but uh, it would it would certainly go a long way if you were able to do that. Mike, your final thoughts. Yeah, I like the boys have at it mentality. I wasn't a big fan in the you know the late 2000s, early 2010s when they were black flagging cars for rough driving. I don't want to go down the road of Formula One where you know cars make contact, they go cry into the stewards, and and they put penalties on cars. But like you said, the, the limitation there is don't use your car as a weapon. At least make it look like a racing deal. You know, maybe don't lift so much going into the corner. Give the guy a shot in the bumper and he washes up the track. Or at the very least, left rear him and he goes through the infield. But right rearing somebody head on and into the wall, there's no circumstance where that's acceptable. Uh, and the other big thing, this, we're talking about the truck series here. Kyle Busch can afford to tear up some trucks. He's, he's got fairly deep pockets. Thor Sport as well. They've got some fairly deep mm-hmm. pockets, at least in terms of the truck series goes. But it causes incidents, especially at a place like Martinsville, where you've got teams that they have one truck. And they're working out of somebody's two-car garage, in essence. They're professional racing teams, but it's not their full-time job. A lot of those truck teams have maybe one or two full-time employees, and they can't afford to destroy a truck. So getting caught up in some other team's foolishness because a four-sport truck wants to get into a truck fight with a Kyle Busch Motorsports truck, it still ends up costing those little teams tens of thousands of dollars to destroy their truck getting caught up in somebody else's mess. So it's a little bit more excusable in the Cup Series where we're talking about billionaires being out a couple thousand dollars and torn up race cars. But the truck series, it's a lot lower threshold for these little teams being able to absorb damage financially and still being able to keep their head above water, especially now in the the current economic situation with the pandemic and sponsorship being what it is. Yep, it's wrong 50 ways to Sunday. So, okay, I'm going to bring up the next hot topic, and it's another controversy that happened, but this time in the Xfinity series. Uh, Apparently, Justin Algauer had some very harsh words for Ross Chastain uh, in his post-race interview, uh, calling him two-faced. So I wanted to get you guys' thoughts about that. Jay, we'll start with you. Well, this is one of the other ones I said. There were several incidences throughout the weekend, um, and this one happens to, again, can um, involve two playoff drivers, which will be interesting. Uh, it certainly does, and this is, it's a question I've asked all along, of why Ross Chastain can be a I'm not here to make friends driver, but be a fan favorite where Joey Logano is I'm not here to make friends and he's a bad driver. So that kind of comes into play for me. Um, I think that eventually that is going to catch up with you one way or another. And these guys have had a couple of little altercations throughout the year. 
Chastain being involved in multiple, uh, Allgaier in a couple, uh, specifically with his teammate. But I think this is going to come to a head because there's only so much and so long that, that people are going to take it. And I do think that Chastain, as well as Joey Logano, have to be careful in how they carry themselves with that, whether they're likable or not. Uh, drivers are eventually going to get fed up with it. We've seen some, some drivers that normally have a pretty cool head. Um, you know, I go back and look at, think about Jeff Burton, Jeff Gordon, that incident. You know, these drivers are normally mm-hmm. pretty mellow and, and keep their head, but everybody's got that breaking point. And if you're pushing drivers like that to their breaking point, you're, you're doing something pretty aggressive then. <laughs> exactly. Okay, uh, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, um, the incident between uh, Allgaier and, and Chastain, that was a racing deal. I, I understand Allgaier was a little bit upset, Um I don't know that I would pin the entire blame on Chastain. Any one of those, because there are three cars. It was the uh, the 10 car, the 7 car, and I believe it was the 19 car, Brandon Jones pushing the inside to make it, it three wide uh, that Jones. led to that wreck. Yeah. So we're talking about the middle, maybe the back third of the race. Any one of those three cars could have lifted and avoided that incident. None of them did. Um, to pin that all on Ross Chastain, eh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I agree with Jay in the broader sense of that. And we've talked about this on this show a few times where Ross Chastain has not won a race this year. He has been fairly consistent. He's got a lot of second place finishes, but he hasn't won a race this year. And I'm not convinced that at least part of that is because he's made a lot of enemies out there and they're not cutting him the brakes that maybe a, a more friendly driver would cut you. And it, it forces Ross to lose positions or not gain a position he otherwise could have gained. Had he been in a little bit better relationship with whatever driver he's around the racetrack on. Um, Ross was apologetic after, I think it was after this race where he said he doesn't deserve to be in the car and stuff. I don't know if I, don't know if I would go that far to say he doesn't deserve to be there. Um, but it's going to be interesting going forward with Ross going into the, the Chip Ganassi number 42 in the Cup Series. Um, there's a lot of guys who race uh, on Saturday who also race in the Cup Series on Sunday. And uh, they might have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder with Ross getting into a relatively top-tier equipment and these guys being stuck in your Spire Motorsports Rick Ware racing kind of cars in the back where maybe Ross doesn't catch a break from them next year either. You know, those, those rivalries and frustrations might not end after Phoenix in two weeks. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Yeah, that's the thing, you know, is if if you're making other drivers upset at you, it makes trying to win a championship a really difficult scenario. And I think given given Ross's points position, you know, he has to go to Martinsville, and I don't have it right in front of me, but he either needs to win or have a really, really good day. And you know, making enemies might make that almost impossible, just like we talked about with with Ben Rhodes. You know, Ross's chances of earning a championship could be in jeopardy. So, um, but we do see this every year where, you know, we get late in the season, uh, frustrations and tensions build throughout the course of the year, and it all comes to a head late in the season. So, um, but unfortunately, you know, I think, you know, if if uh, Ross Chastain is leading the race late, late in the goal at Martinsville in a must-win scenario, and Justin Allgaier is in second right behind him, you can take one guess how that's going to turn out. So um, it's unfortunate, certainly, but it's just the nature of the end of the season. Yeah, it is unfortunate. I agree with you. Ross Chastain is another one of those drivers that we followed 
uh, uh, throughout the years. And uh, uh, we don't like to see these kind of things happen, for sure. Paving is on road here. And like you say, uh, it's going to be interesting uh, to see how uh, the Cup Series drivers uh, deal with him uh, when he gets up into the Cup Series uh, because they are not going uh, to tolerate that. As you guys well know, they don't like it from Joey Logano. Uh, and Joey Logano's had his share of uh, – he hasn't always had smooth sailing either throughout this season. So he's a talented guy. Ross Chastain is a talented guy. But And I, and I go back to, uh, you know, uh, you, you take away from your talent when you do this kind of stuff. Because you're supposed to be showcasing the talent that you have on the track to be able to race these guys, not go out there and make it a uh, WWE contest with your cars. Um, and and that's not the kind of racing I think most fans uh, want to watch uh, throughout time. So these guys have to kind of get this under control, I think, that. I think that they've been kind of pushing it to the edge of a little bit. There's a few drivers that are pushing it to the edge. Joey Logano's one of those. Noah Gregson's one of those. Um, uh, Ross Chastain is one of those kind of guys. But these guys have to have to at some point. They're going to have to take a step back and rethink this. I think uh, if they really want to have a career. Uh, that's going to take them to a championship. I know Joey Logano's won some championships, uh, won a championship, but uh, looking at this year, if, if, if it continues, say, at Martinsville or even with the Texas race that has yet to be won, run, um, these guys are, are kind of feeling their own fate as far as the future goes because these drivers and uh I want to see them showcase their skills more than using their cars to kind of get back at each other on the track. I've always thought that way. And I go back to another thing that I've said all along. First time's an accident. We can forgive that. Second time's coincidence. We're going to question that. But by the time you get to the third time, that's become a habit. And now we don't want to tolerate that. So, um, and that's where these guys have kind of put themselves into the position of. So uh, I, I know Martinsville is going to be one wild and crazy race. Um, but, again, I go back to that's what this format has kind of produced. Uh, it, to me, it's a negative effect of what this format has produced. And uh, I wish we were adult enough to kind of get past it. Uh, but I understand there's a lot of pressure when you're talking about sponsors and teams and all of that. So I, I get that part of it as well. So, Jay, what are your thoughts? Well, I don't, I don't like to be interrupted, and I know it's only a four-minute gap here before we're going to have to uh, take a break. Take oh, a break okay. Wait a minute, you don't, steal, like, so. you don't like being interrupted? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> no, go ahead and do it now, Sharon. Okay, we're coming up on the uh, 10.30 mark, and for anybody who may be listening for the first time, we like to give you an alert just to let you know that we are going to go off the air at exactly 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. But what happens is we continue recording the rest of our conversation, so you may hear us go off the air mid-sentence, 
but we are recording the rest of that conversation that will be available as a part of our podcast. So if you've listened up to this part of the show, all you have to do when the podcast becomes available is fast forward to that two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Now, I'll go out on Twitter and let everybody know that the podcast, uh, that we've completed the show and that the podcast link is available. Uh, You may have to wait a few minutes for it to download, but two-hour mark to hear the rest of the conversation. Podcast listeners will be able to listen straight through, so it'll be pretty seamless that way. Uh, But again, first-time listeners, uh, we just want to make sure that you're aware that that's what happens uh, so that nobody's taken by surprise. So uh, the soapbox is open, Jay. All right. Well, I'm with I'm with Mike here uh, again. I don't know that you can necessarily put it on all on Ross Chastain, but as Sharon proposed, the the original question was Justin Algar calling him two faced, and I think that's because in the past we've seen him say, "Hey, I'm not here to make friends. I'm make, I'm here to win races." I think uh, he knows the position he's in, not only for this championship in the Xfinity, but now moving up to Cup. That Justin Algar is saying, "Okay, this one, you know, you're saying you're sorry and you're at fault." I'm not buying it because you haven't accepted any blame for any others you've done all year. You're not fooling anybody. If you think you're going to get a pass then because you said it and it's the playoffs, I'm not buying it. I think that's where Justin Algar is coming from of, you know, uh, how many times that that we've seen it. Now all of a sudden when he needs favor in the playoffs, he's going to try and be like, yeah, that was bad on me. Uh, At least that's how I think Justin Algar views it. I'm I'm with Mike, uh, you know, it happened. Uh, any one of them, like you said, maybe Ross was the one that was being a little more aggressive there, trying trying to squeeze in a hole that wasn't there, or you know, come down a little bit. Um, but uh, I, th- I think that's kind of where Justin was just at. Of hey, you've been doing this all year. Don't think that we're going to feel bad for you now because you said you're sorry. You haven't all year. Okay. Uh, that goes back to a first time we'll forgive you, a second time we'll question it. By the time you get to the third time, we've had enough. So, uh, Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, I know I didn't really address the two-faced thing because I don't know that I necessarily agree with it. Um, Ross, Ross definitely has a public persona um, that he puts forth in interviews and fan interactions, social media, whatever. And then he's got a race car persona that he, you know, you got a, you got a different Ross Chastain behind the wheel than you do behind a microphone. And uh, he's not the only race car driver like that. I don't know that I would call that two-faced because there's a really negative connotation uh, along with that. Uh, Ross is who he is. At this point, he's been racing in the Xfinity Series several years Uh, and the truck series as well, several years in the top levels of NASCAR. I would say at this point, Ross Chastain is a known quantity, especially for the drivers who are racing with him day in and day out. I don't know that I would say that he's two-faced or any different of a person now than he ever has been. I I haven't seen any significant difference in the way Ross races, and I haven't seen any significant difference in the way Ross conducts himself uh, in interviews or fan interactions. I think it's just that is Ross Chastain, whether you like it or not. Okay, Andy, your thoughts? Uh, I don't have any follow-up. I think I'm good on this one. Okay. Um, And and I will say, you know, Justin Algar is speaking in the heat of the moment, too. Obviously, he's frustrated. It it ruined his day. uh, And he feels like uh, Ross Chastain is the reason why. 
So he's going to be uh, he's going to he's going to lash out at that, um, and and that's what drivers like Ross Chastain put themselves in a position to have happen uh, when they have repeated incidents over time. Um, and and maybe it wasn't his fault necessarily this time, but this is what happens. Uh, even when it's not your fault, if you're in the middle of it and, uh, and uh, you ruin the day of a playoff driver, uh, they're going to lash out at you. You're not going to get that forgiveness level if it's if it's happened on a repeated basis. And I think that's probably what's happened here. Um, uh, and and you know I, I like both of these drivers. You know these guys are are all good guys when they're not behind the wheel of the car and they don't have that pressure of getting into the playoffs. So uh, we'll have to see what happens at uh, Martinsville. Uh, I, I don't get the feeling that these guys have sat down and had a conversation over a cup of coffee uh, to try to cash things out. Uh, I, I think this is a rivalry that is uh, definitely building. So I think we're going to see more uh, before it's all said and done. So, Andy, we're back to you for any other hot topics. Yeah, this is a pretty um, pretty exciting one for sure um, for uh, William Byron for next year, but uh, Rudy Fugel is going to come over there and be his crew chief, uh, getting a, a long time coming Cup Series promotion. Okay, so Mike, your thoughts about that? Yeah, this is huge. This is an, this is another really big get for Hendrick Motorsports. Don't forget that Hendrick Motorsports pulled William Byron out of the Kyle Busch Motorsports development pipeline uh, back when they signed him to drive. Uh, for Junior Motorsports initially and then eventually into the 24 car in the Cup Series. So pulling Rudy Fugel along with him, who, don't forget, was also William Byron's uh, crew chief when William was running Kyle Busch Motorsports trucks. Um, Pulling Rudy Fugel over to Hendrick Motorsports is a huge win for Hendrick. Um, I expect great things. Don't forget that uh, Rudy and William... Uh, if not for an engine failure in the playoffs, they would have won the Cup, uh, the Truck Series championship that year. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up getting eliminated in the final round and then won, uh, wound up winning the Homestead race. So had he been in that final four, William Byron would have been the Truck Series champion that year. Um, so the tremendous success that William had with Rudy Fugel in the Truck Series, I'm expecting some great things between the, uh, the William Byron-Rudy Fugel pairing with the 24 car next year for Hendrick Motorsports. Okay, Jay. Okay. Did we lose? Yeah, him? sorry, I was on mute. No, no, I was just on mute. Um, okay. I think this is huge. Yeah, I think this is very huge, uh, like Mike was saying. And the possibilities of it becoming the next uh, super tandem, being that they have worked together, the history they have together, uh, I, I see great things coming from it. And I know I saw an interview with Chad Canals where he said he talked to, to Fugel about possibly coming over as an engineer, and he said just in a five- to ten-minute conversation with him, he said, no, you're a crew chief. Uh, you know, you, your mind or whatever is crew chief orientated, and you're one that's destined to be at the cup level. And I don't know if that's kind of what led to him being involved maybe in that recommendation to Hendrick or whatever, but uh, I think it is a great thing for Hendrick Motorsports and for William Byron, that team. Uh, it's unfortunate we've seen what kind of dominance he has in the truck series, especially with KBM. 
it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that affects KBM. Okay. Uh, I really think it's a good move as well. Uh, like Mike mentioned, these guys have worked together before, uh, William Byron and Rudy Fugel. Um, He has really helped a lot of uh, truck series drivers have really good seasons. And uh, I admire him as a crew chief. He's obviously got some good things going for him, so it doesn't surprise me uh, that Chad Canal sees that in him after a short conversation with him. I get the feeling uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it wasn't uh, William Byron who said, I'd like to get Rudy Fugel uh, back as my crew chief. We had a good relationship, and I'd like to work with him again. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to see the pairing, and I think we're going to see really good things uh, from them as well. So I'll echo you guys on all of those sentiments. Uh, Andy? Yeah, this is huge, and, and honestly something that I, I didn't necessarily see coming. Um, you know, Rudy certainly has established himself as a top truck series crew chief for the past several years with Kyle Busch Motorsports, and I think had found a really good home there, um, you know, and it, it kind of just got in the, the sense that he was going to remain a crew chief there, you know, so for him to get that, that huge promotion to not just the cup series, but to do so with an elite team such as Hendrick Motorsports is just a, a huge opportunity for his career. And I, I think that um, when you look at the success that he's had in the truck series, you know, and, and the, the owner's championships and, and the wins, you know, in particular with William Byron, he won seven races in 2016, I believe it was. And, you know, like Mike said, should have probably won the championship if not for that engine failure that year. Um, you know, I think that uh, this is a, a really good pairing, and I think that Hendrick Motorsports, uh, despite, you know, maybe struggling a little bit in recent times, is positioning itself to be really, really good in the years to come. And I think that this is a driver crew chief pairing that will have immediate impact and have immediate success. Um, and, of course, we don't even know yet the status of Hendrick's fourth car, although there's been plenty of speculation on that. So, uh, nonetheless, I think <laughs> overall they're, they are positioning themselves to be, um, you know, getting back to what we're used to seeing out of, you know, going back to the, the, the glory days of, of um, Gordon and, and Johnson, you know, and what, the, what they did in years past. And I think that um, – you know, we're seeing Hendrick kind of make a move back in that direction. And, and honestly, you know, like I said, this was a move that I didn't really see coming. I, a week ago, I couldn't have predicted it. I don't even think it was rumored. It just came out of it came out of nowhere in the form of an official announcement. So, um, but really cool to see. I think that um, Rudy Fugel's results as a crew chief speak for themselves. Um, certainly a well-earned uh, promotion for him. And I think that... Um, you know, he and William Byron are, you know, going to, I think, potentially have a breakout season next year. That's not to say William hasn't already had, you know, a decent start to his cup career, but you could see him go out and, and win multiple races and be a real threat in the playoffs next year um, just by virtue of this crew chief and driver pairing. So it'll be fun to watch it for sure, but nonetheless, just a well-earned and, and well-deserved promotion for Rudy Fugel for next year. Okay, Mike, your follow-up? Yeah, kind of like what Andy said. We've been kind of waiting on William Byron to have that breakout year. I understand he has a win this year, and his performance has been decent. But to be honest, 
I've been a little disappointed with how William Byron's performed, especially now we're in his third year in the Cup Series. And uh, I don't know that he's performed at the level that everyone expected him to, given how well he did in the Truck Series and the Xfinity Series. When uh, when they brought Chad Knauss into the 24 team, I think everyone expected, okay, now we're going to see William Byron take off. And he really never took off with Chad Knauss either. So I'm really hoping that the uh, the pairing with Rudy Fugel is that spark that really ignites that 2014. And like Andy said, they become the next big thing at Hendrick Motorsports, or at least they get a pairing uh, with Chase Elliott in the nine team, who currently is uh, is kind of the banner carrier for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, maybe uh, maybe Hendrick has a uh, has two cars that are week in week out threats to win instead of just one right now with the nine. Okay, Jay. Well, I think you got to take into consideration, though, again, that jump to the cup level. Uh, yeah, William Byron burned it up in the trucks and the Xfinity, and, and the expectations were there coming to Hendrick Motorsports. Obviously, they had it in him. Um, but th- that jump to the cup level is, is not an easy task from what they say. I don't know. I haven't been there. But I also know it was the third third year, I believe, before Chase Elliott won a race. Now, I know he had many second-place finishes prior to that, but – Again, there were great expectations based off of that. Um, and, and it took that third or fourth year before we really saw him become a top-running team, two to three wins per year, cha- uh, playoff contender. So I, I think we're still in that stage. And, yes, we had the expectation uh, that came with the Canals pairing um, kind of to be this year maybe. But, again, it's been 2020. There's been a lot of different things that have gone on. So I don't know if you can really hold that against him either. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that, Jay, because uh, my thought, too, and a lot of people don't know this about William Byron, but William Byron isn't one of those guys that started out driving when he was four years old. He didn't start driving until he was a teenager, and uh, he was an eye racer. So he went from eye racing into stock cars and uh, became a Canon Pro Series champion. Uh, did really well in the trucks, did really well in Xfinity. He was on a meteoric rise uh, in the racing world uh, after starting as a teenager uh, at driving. So to to Jay's point, making that change um, from the Xfinity and trucks into the Cup Series is a huge, huge deal. Those cars are a lot heavier and and uh, a lot different than racing even in the i-racing uh, uh, arena. So I, I think it's just taking him a little bit of time to adjust. Uh, he was working with Rudy Fugel. They had a great relationship. And I think Rudy Fugel might have even worked with him uh, going back to his Can-Am Pro days, uh, if I remember correctly. Uh, so uh, I, I really think... Uh, that we're going to see good things between Rudy Fugel and, and William Byron. Um, I think that's a, a good match. Uh, they've had great success in the past. Uh, keep in mind, though, this is going to be an adjustment for Rudy Fugel, too, coming into the Cup Series. Uh, he's not only coming into the Cup Series from the Truck Series, but he's also changing from Toyota to Chevy, which is going to be a bit of an adjustment there. So I don't expect them necessarily to come out of the gate with success, but I think once they get their feet grounded, uh, we're going to see a lot of success between that duo. So, Andy, what are your thoughts? Yeah, you you do bring up a good point. It will be an adjustment for sure. 
um, not only, like you said, going to a new organization, but a new series, and there's no guaranteed level of success. But I, I do think that this is somebody that can go to the Cup Series and be successful. And, and obviously, um, you know, William enters his fourth season of competition in the Cup Series next year. And I do think that he has the talent to be successful, but I'm not sure that he's had the right crew chief to this point in the Cup Series that's allowed him to go out and win four to five races and, and go deep into the playoffs. And I know it's crazy to say that when you consider – that he has a Hall of Fame crew chief that has seven championships atop the pit box currently. But, but you know, that doesn't necessarily mean Chad Canales has been the right fit for him. Um, you know, Chad is, a, is an intense guy and can be intimidating at times, and you have to wonder if, you know, that kind of pressure negatively affected William Byron. I mean, that's pure speculation on my part, but you have to wonder if, you know, putting Rudy in there you know, somebody who has won, you know, a lot of races with William in the truck series before, somebody that he's worked with before, somebody that he knows he has chemistry with. You have to wonder if, you know, that kind of confidence in, in having worked with someone like that in the past will automatically yield results. I think it can. So as we all know, if a driver crew chief pairing doesn't work or is something isn't quite clicking, it doesn't work but this has the potential for it to work. And I think this, this could be the scenario that really enables Byron in the 2014 to really step up and, and be more successful than they've already been. You know, I know that there's always, I think a lot of optimism from every single team as they go into a new season and, and some of those scenarios work and some don't, but I definitely think as I look at, you know, driver and crew chief and team pairings going into 2021. This is the one to me that sticks out and says this has the most potential. Okay. Uh, Jay, it's time to move on to the next topic and you're up. All right. Well, I kind of had my bubble burst. I thought we might get through one show where we didn't talk about the possibility of who's going to drive the fourth Hendrick machine without having any anything new to report or speculate on or <laughs> whatever. But Andy kind of popped that as he referenced it. I thought we might get through tonight. Um, now, I want to go to uh, to Noah Gregson. We talked about the Xfinity Series race. Uh, we've seen this before with Denny Hamlin at the cup level, but Noah Gregson was going to win that race. Uh, I, I don't know how he didn't. I don't know if he knows how he didn't. But that would have advanced him, and now he is almost back to a must-win situation. That 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 there could have determined his championship. But how he handles it, as far as the maturity level of a driver, and, and what he went through. Okay, Mike. I don't know that I want to give him too much credit on it. I did. I didn't see the the whole interview, but the the snippets that I saw. Um, I don't know that I would say it was the most professional uh, professional way to do it. Uh, as far as him losing the race, these things happen. Um, I don't know if I if you could even put it on Noah. Uh, it may very well be on his spotter, uh, not telling him that the 20 was coming. Either way, um, you know, the results are what they are. As far as how Noah handled it, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say this is any kind of a turning point for Noah Grayson. I'll put it that way and leave it at that. <laughs> okay, Andy. Make no mistake, I, I think 
Noah Gregson should have won that race. In fact, I expected him to win that race. And that is, there's nothing more devastating for him than going from taking the white flag, thinking you're going to punch your ticket to the championship four, only to have that win stripped from the, your grasp coming off turn four. Rightfully so. Harrison Burton earned that win fair and square. But, you know, to have the lead that he did and, and to lose that lead and lose that race, you know, is, is devastating. And you have to wonder what kind of an effect that's going to have on his confidence, um, you know, going into Martinsville and Phoenix, because it does put him in a bit of a must-win scenario. And, you know, you have to be able to close these races. The most successful drivers in the sport are the ones that can go out and close the deal. And if you can't do that, you know, on a consistent basis and you lose races like that, it's it's going to have an effect long term. So, um, you know, I don't know what this is going to do, but I, you could just tell in his post-race interview that he was just completely devastated. And in doing so, that, that certainly has an effect on the confidence level moving forward. So, um, really tough scenario. I was totally convinced that, that Gregson was going to win that race, and it just completely get away from him with with a few hundred yards to go you know and that's make or break between winning a championship and not winning a championship and that's that's a big deal and you know like i said you have to be able to close the deal in these races if you if you expect to to make it in, in big time stock car racing yeah that's a scenario that i'm sure he's going to replay in his head over and over and over again um and and I think the interview is probably the result of, you know, a balloon that popped. I mean, all the air uh, came out of his sail when he lost that race. And uh, you don't have much more to give at that point. So um, uh, I, I think he probably was very disappointed, as he rightfully should be. So uh, I... I uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he comes back uh, at Martinsville and how he races at Martinsville because he is going to be in the race of his life, if you will, uh, if he wants to get into that final four. And I think Gregson is one of those guys who believes he belongs in that final four. So he's going to be doing everything he possibly can to put himself there uh, at Martinsville. Uh but he's also going to have to go back and, and, like I say, replay that and figure out what did go wrong uh, at uh, Texas for him to lose that race because he had a considerable lead. And uh, and like you say, maybe it's the spotter. Maybe the spotter didn't let him know that uh, Harrison was right there uh, and, and going to take, you know, take, uh, get past him. Uh, but uh, I think... Uh, it's going to be interesting to see what happens at Martinsville with that. So, Jay, I'm curious to know your thoughts. I hope I hope that he is able to rebound. Uh, I can't say that he didn't do anything wrong or could have done anything any, any better. You've got to give it to Harrison Burton. You heard it in his interview. He said, hey, I drove the lap, the lap of my life. He hung it all out there, <laughs> got to him, passed him clean, um, you know, like you guys have talked about, maybe the spotter could have said something the week before we talked about Joey Logano keeping Kevin Harvick behind him for 40 laps. You know, maybe there is something Noah could have done for one lap, not to necessarily cut him off or block him, but at least disrupt the air, whatever. And he said it in his interview. He knew he saw when he got by. I think he just said he, he didn't think there was any way he could get to him in one lap. 
Um, and that might be something like you said, he holds on to and replays. My hope is that it, it doesn't take him, take him down a bad road because uh, I don't want to say he doesn't have anything to hang his head about because there, there might've been a couple of things he could have done at least a little bit differently. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Harrison just had a good car and had a great run. Uh, you know, those, those happen. And, and that's what uh, kind of defines a, a true champion and person is, you know, when you get beat, you get outright, get beat, you get beat. Um, whether or not he can, he can put his hat on that. Like I said, we've seen Denny Hamlin go through that. And we know it took a lot and a lot of years for Hamlin to get over that uh, of his championship defeat. And it's not for the championship, but it was at least for his shot at the championship possibly. So I think Noah is going to have to go through that, especially at this young age. And we know that he is one that uh, is very emotional and, and has gone through some things. So I hope to see him recover. And I hope to see that maybe people like Mike could show a little bit of sympathy for him. Just a little, Mike. Just a little. <laughs> what do you say, Mike? Nah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, this, this Martinsville race is going to be telling. Uh, knowing anything about Noah Gregson, I've got this funny feeling we're about to see a lot of just hard racing coming out of him. Um, whether the car survives to the point where he gets to the end of the race and is in a position to win, I don't know. Uh, it's obviously going to be a very different race than Texas. Texas is uh, much more of a speed and momentum track versus Martinsville is kind of a rhythm and uh, rhythm and beat the other guy down kind of a track. Um, so a lot of the techniques and whatnot that you would use for Texas aren't really going to translate into Martinsville, but I'm, I'm sure Noah Gregson is going to use the front. And I, I don't know if he uses up the front bumper, he might run it in reverse and use up the rear bumper to try and get his way up to the front. Okay. Andy. Well, I think that if Noah somehow wins and advances to the final four, that Mike has to buy Jay a Noah Gregson t-shirt. Oh my. Deal. I'm in. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, you ought to take that anyway, since you copped out of the of our other bet, just because Kyle Larson may or may not go to the Hendrick team, not the 48, but to a Hendrick team. I think you uh, skated your way out of that bet. Hey, I won that bet while we pushed on that bet fair and square. <laughs> okay, Andy, what are your thoughts about Noah Gregson? <clears throat> I don't really have any follow-up on that. I mean, it's just um, – I just wonder what, you know, closing out the Texas race does for his confidence. I would be interested to see how he rebounds. Um, like I said, you know, closing out these races is a big deal. And, you know, certainly the way that ended for him was, was devastating. There's really no other way to put it. And, you know, I, I am curious – how does he go to Martinsville and, and how does he put Texas behind him? Because in order for him to be successful and go out and try to advance to the final four, he has to put Texas behind him, you know, and I'm curious to see how he handles it. And that, that to me is, is probably um, one of the bigger storylines going into uh, the race this weekend. Yeah, I agree. It's going to be a big storyline for Noah Gregson and, uh, I think we've all said it, so I don't have a whole lot more to say. But uh, stay tuned uh, to this Martinsville race uh, coming up this weekend. Uh, Jay, any final thoughts on your end? Yeah, Mike, I wear an extra large uh, T-shirt. I like them kind of baggy. And I say that because (laughs) 
being that this Xfinity race uh, is new to a lot of drivers, especially when it comes to Martinsville, several do have experience in other series. Noah Gregson has a win there in the trucks. All right. Okay, we're coming up toward the top of the hour, so uh, I think we're going to go and call this. Uh, it's time for our roundtable uh, uh, sound off. So, Mike, we'll start with you. <clears throat> yes, Mike underscore Orzel on Twitter. And, hey, I'm on Reddit now, so uh, Facebook doesn't want me anymore. I'll go invade Reddit. I'm Mike underscore underscore O. Uh, on Reddit. So uh, reach out to me there. I'm sure you haven't had anyone plug it in the past three weeks or so. So don't forget, voting is still open for most popular driver, I believe, through the end of the Phoenix race. So get your votes in there for your favorite driver, Matt Benedetto, especially. Uh, votes count twice if you share them on Twitter or Facebook. So uh, one vote per driver per day per series. Get them done. Okay, Jay. Yeah, right. A banner for you in the uh, the weeks you've been gone. We were we were just so uh, broken down that you weren't here. So the fact that you're back, that's great. Uh, you do want to vote for your favorite driver. That's why it's the fan vote. And to wrap up here, I'll go with you can follow me on Facebook. I haven't been kicked off. Uh, Michael Hoosman, Mopar MJ8 on Twitter and Instagram. And a real quick update just to highlight some things from our fantasy group. Uh, let me pull that real quick here. I don't know if we Andy need to do that. The, That's probably not necessary. <laughs> okay, we'll leave Mike out of this discussion. Uh, Andy retook the cup lead by one point. I'm sorry, right now the cup lead is at one point. Andy is leading over me. Uh, let's see. Cup side is, I believe, Kyle Busch versus Denny Hamlin, yes. On the Xfinity side, Andy still has the point lead there, 137. I'm up to 132. On the trucks, we've talked about this all year. Andy is at 98. Sam is also at 98. And James is now at 90. So with two races to go, that one is now a three-man battle, three-person. I don't want to exclude Sharon other than the fact that her points excludes her. But it is a (laughs) three-person battle for the truck series. Okay. It sounds uh, pretty exciting. Mike, you, you made some points on Harrison this weekend. Didn't you pick him to win? Uh, yeah, so uh, Jay gave me the opportunity to pick Harrison, um, and I picked Ross Chastain instead. Because oh. that's all I was left with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I guess it was Jay that picked Harrison. I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah, no, actually, was, actually, yeah thanks for turning that knife a little bit. That hurts. Yep, twisted <laughs> in sorry. there, twisted in there. Actually, James is the one I took the shot at. He got 10 points. I got 14. I would have taken Noah Gregson, but that's who James took. So James is the one that actually gave up the the points there. All right. All right, Andy, you're saying that. Yeah, it's just amazing that um, we come down to this point in the year and the points are are that tight. I mean, uh, it's crazy. Still got some work to do. Still got uh, five, what, uh, seven races left, so it's still anybody's uh, anybody's race at this point. So we'll see how it goes. And uh, obviously frustrated with the Xfinity race. If it wasn't for a broken shock mount, probably would have won that one. So uh, it is what it is. We move on to Martinsville. But um, SHR fourteen to ninety eight fan on Twitter, and um, not sure 
I'll be able to watch tomorrow or Thursday or whenever. I actually have to go work this week, believe it or not. So um, certainly we'll try to keep up with that grace as much as I can, but we'll be around for the full Martinsville and Phoenix weekends as well as I should be around for all the remaining shows of the season. So certainly looking forward to that and uh, looking forward to uh, the upcoming weekend. Okay. Uh, keep your eyes out uh, because depending on when this race, uh, if it's Wednesday, we'll be fine. But if it's on Thursday, depending on what time they run it on Thursday, we may be rescheduling our Thursday night race or show uh, for a podcast. So, again, just kind of stay tuned. Um, with regard to the show tonight, we had uh, a couple of really good guests on earlier in the show. Uh, Jake Drew, who is in the Advanced Auto Parts Series uh, with NASCAR out at uh, Irwindale Speedway and the champion at Irwindale, uh, was on with us. He's with Sunrise Ford, and we had a good conversation with him. We also talked to Gio Scalzi, Scalzi who gave us some late-breaking news uh, on the show tonight. Uh, in addition to a really great interview, uh, he was the winner. Uh, he got his first win at All-American Speedway uh, with Bill McAnally Racing on Friday in their doubleheader weekend. Uh, they also raced at Kern County Raceway. I'm going to try to get Taylor Gray, uh, if not this um, uh, for the Thursday night show, I'm, I might see if I can get him for the Monday night show uh, because he also was a winner uh, in the uh, doubleheader in the uh, ARCA West. Now, they'll be doing their season finale coming up at Phoenix, so uh, definitely look for that. That's where they'll determine who their champion is going to be. Uh, and there's a 12-point uh, gap there between first and second. Uh so if you haven't had a chance to listen to the first part of the show, I really uh, encourage you to do that. Um, and uh, I really appreciate uh, all of the part of our, our fan for racing crew here, as well as our listeners for tuning in to hear what it is that we have to say. It's always a lot of fun uh, doing the show. We, we enjoy it. We hope you enjoy listening. And uh, we'll definitely look forward to doing it again. And like I say, stay tuned uh, to find out exactly when that's going to be, if we'll do it on our regular time on Thursday night, or if it's going to be a podcast that we put together uh, sometime on on um, <clears throat> sometime on Friday. Okay, with that, guys, uh, I think we'll call it a wrap. And uh, unless you guys have something more that you want to say, uh, I think we're ready to say goodnight. Good night, everybody. Good night. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2020. 23 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE or Summit 4xE. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.